And five, four, three, two. Welcome back to another episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. We've got a glorious episode for you today. Like none other. Big, uh, big double guest in the house. Big, big hair episode. Big hair. There's a lot of hair in this in this episode for sure. This is like our hair band episode. <laughs> um, you know, real quick, the theme of the episode today will be fun size horror. All right, we want to uh, talk about some of our horror people that we love so much, our horror slasher icon and just ghouls and all types of demented beings that come in uh, small size. You know what I mean? Many, many me size. Fun size. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Um, and with that being said, of course, that, that man's voice you just heard, you can't make any type of anything dealing with small creature-like things without inviting uh, Mr. William Coyne of Two-Headed Productions into the mix. Billy Coyne, how are you? Just say it for what it is. Billy Coyne, creature. Oh, it's guy. John C. Yeah, well, no, it's my brother's computer, but you know. <laughs> it's my it's my computer, but I have no idea why the hell he set up Zoom under his name. So it confuses everyone. Like, hey, John, how are you doing? No, it's Billy. You sound like my mother. I'm Billy. He's John. You can wreak a lot of havoc under the John C. name, though. Oh, I could if I wanted to. <laughs> I thought John C. Riley was showing up for the on the show for the first time. And then we're joined by our okay. diva, <laughs> our, our respectful, our respected diva, Alexander Hawk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you gentlemen, you gentlemen are both working uh, yeah, on. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm coming from uh, sunny California, Burbank. Oh, very nice. Not too hot, I hope. Yeah. How's the homeless situation? No, no, I think it's, it's very nice. Uh, it's great weather right now. Alex went over there to take care of the homeless situation, at least with the female homeless ladies. He's trying to clean up the streets. Uh, he wants beautiful to, downtown yeah, Burbank. I, I think I got a, a few, a uh, few in 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 my uh, tiny little motel room. I, I'm stacking them five uh, miles high. Every time Al he comes back from the strip, he has like those peat coats filled with women's hair that he shows me that he has. He he he, <laughs> he spins around his room and it's just like a fur coat with women's hair. I say, where did you get all that hair from, Alex? And he goes. I got a lot of fans out there, Matt. And I go, really? Yeah? And they're very dedicated. They're very dedicated. They give their yeah, everything. Yeah. You should so get a Sarah and Joe out there. Alexander Hawk will be meeting with those folks. Although he's, at least Sarah, I believe, he's meeting with Sarah while out there. Yeah. Coast Iron. Doing a big yeah, him and Mr. Mr. Jimmy. I think him and Mr. Jimmy are going to be uh, gathering for, uh, you know, Brussels sprouts and fine pork product. <laughs> Well, that's the plan. That's the plan. I just have to get uh, get the schedules to uh, align on all of that. I want to. I'm going to tell Jimmy to bring you to a restaurant that they charge you like four hundred dollars for your bill. <laughs> like fuck with no, the hot. In that case, I guess I'm stuck here. I that's guess I'm not going to be able that's to go the case, home. You got to go for sushi in Worcester. Three hundred thousand dollars <laughs> hot dogs. There on a go. personal note, I know what you're t- exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> too dark. Too dark. Reel it back in. Um, Bill Cohen, you just worked on a new project too, right? Yeah, I just worked over the weekend. Um, I just did a project with Diggy Skins. Um, Friend from I really across the street. Don't know if I'm in a position to really say anything too much, so I'm just going to play it safe and not say much. But all I'll say is, 
this it was a it was a real fun short film uh that we did that i believe is part of an anthology um i'm not exactly sure i mean it's it's a horror anthology i know that um and Fangoria spilled the beans on it right or something like that well, Maybe yeah. without going and, too and deep. this is actually part of public record, so I don't believe I'm giving anything yeah, you away can, but by you saying how Fangoria uh, actually just did a press release for this thing. And I think it's, um, but yeah, uh, Fangoria did a press release. And they, I, That's kind of dope to be a part of a, a Fangoria production. Oh, it really is. I mean, just from loving the magazine from growing up, I mean, I even remember the movies like Fangoria Presents. And one of my personal favorites was Skin Deep, which was directed yeah. by Gabe Bertalos. Really good film. And it's finally coming to Blu-ray through Severn Films. So I'm really excited about that. But they had um, like some directed video stuff that Fangoria did. And it was some of it was kind of cheap. Some of it was actually a lot of fun. And, yeah. you know, they didn't, another one like a variety show with the, uh, backdrop if you had was called it i think it was like the dead show or something like that but it was really good fangoria i mean you know they've been around forever i mean they have a wonderful reputation just within the genre itself they like to clean it up every now and then they had to do cleansing recently i heard yeah but but that's business i mean (laughs) no but seriously new regimes come in you know things change but you know they're still keeping the brand itself alive you think and, it's trying to keep up with trying the offensive of uh, people, unoffending people? You think that's the big thing, or I know they had a, they had issues a little bit of they went under. Well, and there was a con- and- there, there was some controversy. Um, what the controversy was, I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, there was a there was an issue I remember. Um, there was an issue where there was a one of the publishers. There was at one point like. You're th- the issue you're thinking of was the the last one, but there was one before that where there was like a big falling out with one of like the main dudes that was running it. Not like the original guys, but like because you know people have come and gone. But I think there was a time when it fell into the wrong hands. Well, and- actually, but Maddie, don't you dare forget who the very first editor in chief was. One of our boys, Tim. Ed oh, Ed, yeah, Ed Naha was Ed. one of the first. Ed- yeah. I believe one of the first editors of chief of Fangoria. Bob Martin, I really think, came in shortly afterwards, and he went on to success with Frank Cannon Lauder, doing one like Basket Case 3, writing that. Yeah. Um, very good writer. But, I mean, when Tony Tampone came in, I think, in the right. 80s, to me, that's really when I think of Fangoria the most. I think of, like, Tony Tampone, 80s, early 90s. To me, that was really kind of the golden great years. But there's always been new regimes coming in, you know, every few years, because, uh-huh. you know, something can, can happen within the company. Something might falter. They're like, okay, we need to reassess this. We need to figure this out. And let's figure out the best course of action, whether if it's elements from within or external elements. But as a company, as a brand, of course, you have to yeah. look out for you. You know, you have to look out with who you're working with and right. who you're working for. Well, that's the trick. You know, in, in this in the business of it's such a cool business with all these cool things you get to do, meet cool people, do cool things. You're gonna get you know a percentage of people doing it for the wrong reasons that event you know sometimes make it to the way of a position of power you know what i mean i believe the last issue that they had was something like that and i think it was more within the film aspect of it like it was a producer i'm not going to speculate too heavy but i believe it was an issue where one of the uh producers from like the the film side of things because like you were saying they were distributing films for a little bit i think they ran into somebody that uh society didn't like 
uh, whether he was a, whether I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what he did. All I know is I, I heard it that it was take much to piss people off in society. I, I heard it was you know one of the one of those common, but but I, you can't you know you don't know. I don't know the dude, so I, I would never go to bat for him. Yeah, look, I don't know him. You know what I mean? Um, and something like that, you got to know the person. You know. Like, we'll have our opinion on Richard Stanley because we actually got to talk to him for a little bit, you know what I mean? We talked to him leading up to it and after, and he's genuinely a nice guy. Great interview, by the way. I, I really enjoyed him, that. From what me and Mel gathered, we've talked about it. Me and Mel don't feel like those – from the, the person we kind of met, don't really kind of feel like that was that. So, And I didn't meet the person saying it, and I do know that there are, unfortunately, people out there that will just say things. So until I see, like – official i'm not gonna go nuts but let's go nuts on this fucking episode huh so i think the best way to really get into this is kind of an alphabetical way you know um we'll start with the good old a good old us of a all right and um (laughs) we'll work our way through it uh if anybody has any other iconic slasher or ghoul or if you will the fun size for that letter Feel free to say it, because uh, I know I had a couple movies and characters for certain ones. So, um, who wants to start? Well, we're going to start at A. I'm going to say Annabelle. Oh, Annabelle. I had her on my list as well. Um, yeah, you know, the new Conjuring movie is going to be coming out soon. Yeah, you know, she's kind of one of the newer, uh, you know, she's not favored as well. I think she was more favored when she was a part of those Conjuring movies. And then when she started to dip off into her own movies, that's when people kind of lost interest, right? But the funny, but the funny thing about that is, is if, like, if you actually pay attention to it, it all, they all tie in together. Because even in, like, the Conjuring movies, there's snippets where you'll see Annabelle actually in the Conjuring movies. Yeah. Where they tie it in. So <laughs> yeah, it's the, like... It's just, you know, I think it's more... Is, mean, is it almost... The, like, it's, it's, it's interesting hearing what you're saying because I haven't seen other Conjuring films, but the way I kind of see it, how I piece it together, is almost like Jigsaw from Saw, where, you know, Annabelle is kind of this, throughout, you know, quite a few of these films, but you really kind of see this and learn this story about this figure, <clears throat> not unlike the character of John, throughout the character of the Saw films. So... So you kind of learn, like, you know, like, throughout the Conjuring films, like, more about the doll itself, and then they had the standalone Annabelle? Yeah, because it, it starts explaining how the possession came up a part of it, and how, um, you know, what the Warrens went through, and why they have to, you know, make sure that that room where they keep all of these possessed objects is, like, blessed, and Annabelle's in a case, and, you know. For those of you who don't know, spoiler alert, the real Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll. I was yes, just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> I actually I knew that about, yeah. I actually gathered it in the estate sale. I think that would be kind of dope, though. I, I um... They were supposed to reopen a museum in a non-residential area because there was so much traffic going in and out of the Warrens' home. Yeah. For people going to see that room that, like, I guess there was a petition started or whatever. So prior to them dancing, prior to their passing away, that thing purchased her. I got her at the estate sale. Well, when we get to... um, I I know we're only on Annabelle, but when, when we get to... 
Shucky, I can actually tell you how I met the real Robert Doll. Robert the Doll? I want to see that, too. I met story, Robert the Doll. Story behind, did you ask him for permission to take his picture and all of that? Are we talking I, about Ed? No, Robert I'm, the Doll. That's I'm talking about the, That's Robert the I, I met Robert when I went down to Key West, and the weird thing was he was actually at the Key West airport. Yeah, they have him in a glass case. <clears> He's in a glass case. With Bojack. And, 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 and they actually say on it, like, you know, like, don't take photos if you don't have to. But the, if the people really, really want to, you, you know, it, it's almost it. like, it's like, I think if by virtue, if you kind of know the story, you need to kind of actually be like, may I please take this? Because they just really don't want any sort of pictures taken of this thing. I was young. That's where I rang in the, rang in the millennium. And I forget how old it was, but I was just staring at this thing. I just felt like a, a pathos. And I just felt like sad for this thing. But, you know, it's really interesting when you meet these real life objects, you know, based off some of these, you know, horror movie events or, you know, whatever, like something like Chucky, considering how that's, how that uh, character yeah, even the, the came story. about. The story behind the Robert doll um, is kind of interesting because it was made by a slave woman that was the nanny for a child, and it was given to him, and then started like wreaking havoc amongst the family. Kind of like a kind of like a, a payback type of deal. It's like well, a deal it, from it, the hood. I was about to say that, and that's we'll a wonderful thing. Yeah. 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 So what did the Robert doll, what is it? Is that the Conjuring thing or is it something different? That's no. Robert the doll is what uh, Child's Play is based off of. What do you mean based off of? Well, they, the Chucky story. Is based, Chucky is loosely based on the persona of Robert the doll. If you go back to where, because of like how the doll is possessed by the by um, it was like it's a Cajun. Yes, yeah, yeah. there was a Cajun element to it because I, I so believe was there, an, there was an actual realistic story where supposedly a doll was possessed by this guy, by the killer. A woman, no, um, one of the slaves put a, a, a voodoo curse on the doll. Okay, and uh, that was where, it actually a voodoo curse or a protection spell that she was trying to put on the doll that. I don't know no, why. But... It was a voodoo curse. So that it was, was an intentional. It was, it was an intentional cursing because she hated the family. Uh, okay. Because they were treated so badly. Yeah. And um, the, yeah, there was, there was like a long, detailed story. But I actually kind of dig this, which is why it's such a shame that the movie, because there is a, there are a couple of movies based on Robert the Doll himself. But they suck. Yeah, I saw. They're, they're called Robert, and I've seen yeah, the people. It has that. It could have been an evolved story of like a, a slave who you know rose up and killed the slave master and all that type stuff. Yeah, the way they the way they did it could have been better presented, but the the actual story itself is like cool. deep. Yeah, it's haunting. It's, it's very haunting. It's very haunting. It's it's very twisted. You add all that mm. hatred. You add all that hate and that bad feelings, and make it, you, that's where that haunting would come. That's from. where all the power. Yeah, that's where the doll develops I mean, all the power sl- for what it does. Slavery has to be <laughs> one of the most awful things that human civilization has discovered early on. You know about itself. Yeah, the fact, and the fact that they're you know people that you know, with their means of religion or spirituality, whether if, you know, Hindi or if you're even like, say, you know, um, into voodoo, the whole concept of uh, soul transference is something that is kind of 
been going on for a very long time. Yeah. So when it comes to the concept of like possessing something or even soul transference, I mean, this is stuff that's been written all the way back, you know, in, 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 in old, old texts. So it's interesting how the concept of alchemy, I guess you could say, of, you know, turning um, what, like water into wine or whatever it is. And, and one of them is like breathing possession into inanimate objects. So the concept of the alchemist and the toy coming to life is, you know, very ancient story. And it's just been presented in so many different ways, whether if it's by means of stuff in the world that has happened to us, like the Robert thing, or, you know, the whole Annabelle situation, you know, which that doll is based off of, you know. So there are so many amazing little fascinating stories about these tiny terrors that are kind of have some legitimate backstories and some are just pure fabrication by Hollywood. But there's the the ones with the hands of truth, but I think the ones that are always the more, more interesting, I guess you could say. It makes it more believable. It's like Candyman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the fo- the folklore of the in the Candyman films is very believable because it takes real life horror and adds it into that fictional aspect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is when you get the best thing because you're like, well, look at Hawk fucking nodding off on like heroin. <laughs> so you get the you get the vibe like you t- you you already bring in the horror and the ugliness that you already know is real life, and then you can you add to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're taking something as ridiculous as, say, like the killer toy genre, but how do you make legitimacy to it? Well, we could but do. But the funny part is, is like, considering when you take into consideration the fact that, like, all fun sized horror yeah. consists of dolls. Yeah. Or some type of toy or something. It's kind of, it's funny because, like, dolls. Plays with it. Dolls are always the most easiest inanimate objects that people use in order to like transfer spirits or whatever, because who's going to think, Oh, well, you know, this evil little doll, like Guatemalans, they have these little dolls. They're called worry dolls. Yeah. And like you take one out of the the little, because it comes in like a little, like, like a little pack pack thing. Yeah. You take one out, you tell it you worry, you put it under your pillow at night, and supposedly in the morning when you wake up, the doll has removed that worry, that problem. Mm. So I, I, it, I had a few growing up. Two of my yeah, family members so bought them all, and they stories, brought it back for me. Yeah, so like those, like there's do- those kind of dolls, and then like obviously voodoo dolls, uh, you know, like voodoo there's and an dolls. Yeah, like, they think, kind of yeah. go hand in hand. We talk about this on the Ghostly Show a lot, you know, with the energy and the stuff. So, like, you, if it's in a kid, if it's in a kid's doll, you know, a lot of kids go around talking to their dolls, treating it like they're real things. So, like, if you were to be a dark entity, you would want to be there because you could feast off of the energy that that kid was giving you. You know what I mean? So, I think that's what the tie-in is with, like, the doll and the toys. Why yeah, the, why, kids aren't going to know. And then there's... And, and as a parent, and as a, and as a parent, you know, what's more horrifying? Something coming after you in the middle of the night or, like, knowing that something evil's with your kid at all times? Well, it's also the concept of the loss of innocence and how tragic that is. When you have... When your toy is supposed to be your best friend and it turns out to be a malicious entity, say if it's, like, Dolly Dearest... Or a serial killer that possesses, you know. Into yeah, because like not for nothing, if I'm going to have an inanimate object come to life, I want Ted, not Annabelle. Yeah. You know, 
I, you know, it's like, hey, well, why don't we just sit back, you know, crack the peace pipe, and, you know, let's just, you know, watch horror movies instead of just, I was like, I, I don't want to kill you. Ted would Too be more of a leech, though. Ted would be, Ted would be lazy. Mm-hmm. Annabelle would go out and do your bidding for you, probably. Well, we have real life people like that, so it's like whatever. <laughs> True. Annabelle, at least, at least the dolls at some point shut up. <laughs> Alex is trying to figure out how to get a doll to give him a blowjob. That's what he's deep in thought over oh, there about. That's how can I get a cheese? Why did I come waiting, on this again? I, I'm waiting. Yeah. I, I'm waiting for the uh, the uh, first sex doll uh, killer movie. You, you could be making it. That could be your next film. But. It's already been made. I'm trying to... I was going to say, I, there is one. <laughs> um, I think it's called Love Object. Oh, okay. I, I haven't heard of it. It's actually... Yeah, what's that other one? Bad... bad. Um, but there is another one. Um, the one with the guy. It's a trauma movie. Are you thinking but, of um, the, 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 the Ari and the Rugged Man movie? No, it's Bad Something. Bag. Not bad biology. That's the bad biology. Yes, that's Ira the Rugged Man and Frank Henenlotter. Yeah, I love that movie. And like, you want to talk about toys that are crazy? Vinny Paz, rapper Vinny Paz, has a cameo in, in it, making out with a vagina. That if that that doesn't pique your interest. I that whole that whole movie is in that. I mean, I, I love uh, those Gabe Bartolos effects. I mean, that movie is just insane. I wish we that that movie was new enough that we probably could have gotten involved with it. That was only what, like ten years ago? Fairly recent, yeah, in the past decade, I would say. Frank don't even make movies anymore, sadly. Well he does. He don't talk to anybody anymore. Not outside of his apartment. He's a recluse. He's a good man though. Maybe the best. Um speaking of Billy Coyne, we got Billy the Puppet from the Saw franchise. For B. There's actually I, a couple of different puppets named Billy because in Dead Silence, the, yep. I think one of the puppets named in that is Billy as well. That's Billy too, huh? Yeah, it yeah. is. The girl? Hmm. No, no, no. The one that looks like the magician. The one that's that has the uh, Dead, Dead Silence is like a really... It's a scary movie. I give that Dead movie Silence, a lot of credit. I think was one of the better renditions to tackle this uh, killer toy subgenre that's James probably come Wong. out in the past 20 years. James Bond, what he did with that film, and I mean, even Wahlberg did a great role in that. The dolls were creepy. The character of Mary Shaw is so effective. I, I think it's one of those, lo- I don't want to say it's a lost gem because it's not technically lost. That was but it's a lesser known movie. title that I wish people knew more about. Because no, sex- people, I saw that people, in the definitely sleep, people definitely sleep on that one. Yeah, that's definitely the precursor to Insidious and The Conjuring. Like, that was definitely the bridge. If you watch yeah. that movie, that's the bridge from, like, his earlier career going into all the new, where he is now, so to speak. <laughs> Working with fuckheads like Jason Momoa. You know what I mean? <laughs> I forgive him for that. Talks on like a 45 minute delay over them. It's okay. No big. So Actually, I'm, I'm waiting for an Alex Hawk doll. I would love I, that. I just want to like, I just want like a 10 inch figure of an Alex Hawk. Well, if Balsamo can have a doll, why can't Hawk? We'll, we'll start with well, Balsamo. Maybe he can make him one. Yeah, how about Sam will make you a doll while you're out there? You work yeah. with Jimmy enough, you can get a doll out of it. Come on. But I, I, I would be terrified. That would scare. That would legitimately scare the shit out of me. An Alex Hawk doll. I would have like. I would have five of them. Scare the shit out of me. 
Oh, you know you've made it when you have a doll made after you. Totally, it, it can be done. It's not. It's not. It's not an unattainable achievement. You know what I mean? I mean, Hawk could have a doll, an action yeah. figure. They sell pops where you yeah. that you can customize yourself. So we it's like 150 bucks. A pop. 150 bucks. You can have an Alexander ah. pop autographed. I Ooh. that should be a thing. Hey, um, I might consider doing that. Maybe we should start that petition up. The saw we could do a GoFundMe page for it, Ox. See if we can pull off getting one action, one Funko Pop made for you. We could do an Indiegogo. And no, Indiegogos <laughs> are only for like Ikea films, Ikea. huh? Ikea, Ikea. Okay, I don't know about the Indiegogo situations, but the Hawkman Man does need a Funko Pop. We got to figure that out. Um, the saw, you know, we don't really got to say much <laughs> about the stuff, huh? Yeah, you need a Funko Pop, Hawk. Yeah, NECA. Yeah, NECA I that. That'd be cool. Yeah. I, I want to punch NECA in the face. I'm still waiting for these Puppet Master figures to come out, and it's been a year since I did the pre-order. Oh, you pre-ordered it too, huh? Yeah, and I'm still waiting. I mean, it feels like it's taking forever. Well, wasn't the um, Night of the Creeps Tom Atkins figure a long wait too? I don't know, but that was through that was through Shout Factory when they announced they that. Did, but didn't NECA do it? Was it a collaboration? <laughs> well, that was NECA, yeah. And yeah. then they did a, a, the Linnea Quigley. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And I love that. one from Night of the Demons recently as well. We want NECA to do a shock treatment with Mel and Maddie action figure set. <laughs> I would pay for that. I mean, I'd buy that for a yeah. dollar. Uh, sign, sign, sign me up for that too. I, I'm down. We'll get a big bombastic media contract. We'll do all the shows. Yeah, I'm convinced. If anyone what actually, I say, I always want you to play with me, a uh, come with the ball, you handle a Kraken and a. You play with yourself enough. Box. That's my action figure. <laughs> yeah, but let me play with you, Matt. I know. I remember a Rock and Shock one year. You can get an action figure made. Anybody remember that? It was yeah. like one year. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I remember Bolsano had it done. Jimmy Bolsano had it done. I remember. He sh- I seen it. He fucking when they put him in the 360 thing and it spun him around and it took the picture of 360 picture and then they printed it out on the resin. Wasn't he over by his booth actually? Uh, I just remember this. He's standing there crossing his arms. <laughs> I shouldn't remember that, but I do. There's other things that's I forget. Kind of cool. That's actually kind of cool that you could have that done. Yeah, oh, it's yeah, like a rotoscope or a 3D print. Well, with 3D printing nowadays, I'm sure we could find someone to do them like reasonably cheap. We just need to find someone to care enough to buy them. That's the problem, folks. Yeah. That's the problem, yeah. Mito. So, uh, you guys... It, it, from- seems like the, it seems like 3D printers are actually becoming a little more cheaper, where I think more people are starting to learn, you know, to do it themselves, which... Yeah. But it seems like the software is starting to come down in price now, so people can now start actually doing their own 3D printing. It's really interesting. Especially from a special makeup effects artist standpoint, I've actually been kind of looking into it a little bit, and I think it could actually help with sculptures and armatures and stuff like that. So 3D printing has uh, many wonderful benefits that I'm discovering. 3D printing will be taking over Bill Corton's jobs in the future. (laughs) I know (laughs) the sculptures will be all made in 3D printing. I know 3D printing is probably the next uh, the killer wave annihilating special effects people. First you had CGI, now you got this 3D printing situation. You just design it on the computer, then print it out. You don't even have to do anything. Yep. You just p- apply it, which anybody can apply it like a Halloween costume nowadays. You know, no, like, no disrespect to the professionals. Huh? 
then it yeah. comes to life and kills just, it's, you know, just keeping in the theme with what we're going with. You print something out in your little 3D printer, a little toy, and it just starts chasing happy and maniacally. And Alex still likes the old-fashioned <laughs> way of cutting off faces and just putting them on other faces. That's why he's in California for us. He's, he brought a whole bunch of sandwich bags with him. And he's coming back. Hey, I told you not to tell anyone that. In that Selleck stash he's sporting. That sweet Selleck stash. I like that stash, man. I'm going to live in that stash for yeah. time. As I always say, I'm, I'm like Ron Jeremy, just from the waist up. I wonder how many people died in your hotel room. As I, as I take a, as I take a peek, how many people been wrapped up in that fucking curtain? How many bodies have been wrapped up in that know, curtain? Man. Put I don't know, man. down the hall. Pull up the rug, okay? Yeah, where you saying the open apartment? Maybe there's a severed hand uh, under there. Alex said he said the bedspread was very trippy, and then he found out someone's corpse melted into the fucking sheets. <laughs> 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 he thought it was just a weird design from the seventies. It's okay, no biggie. So, uh, The Bad Seed, you guys familiar with The Bad Seed, with the little girl, Patty McCormick? I remember, or what I know about the film, it's one of John Waters' favorite films of all time. That's funny you say that. I stumbled into that movie because Eli Roth was talking about it. So I heard him talk about it, and then I went out and picked it up. But it's a fun movie. It's one of those, you know, it's kind of along the lines of like that Twilight Zone episode with the doll. The well, what is that? I'm, I'm trying to remember the line. I'm trying to remember the line in the movie. It's like, I need those shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, but that movie was like, it was really one of the, Bad Seed, I think was, I can't remember if it predates Village. Of I the think Game it does. I, I want to say that show. was. But I want to say that was like, time. I want to say it was one of the early rendition of the killer kid films. It is. I, like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. To yeah. go back to the Eli Roth thing, I think that's what he was talking about when I heard about it. Was him t- saying it was like the first kid killer movie, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, because they did a they did a whole episode on his show about. Oh, did they? The, yeah, the killer kid type movies. We gotta get Eli on our show because he's a he's a Massachusetts guy, right? Yeah, and, and one of the rarest one of the rarest things from that movie that was created that there's a very limited supply on was the novelizations of the books that it was based off of. Of the and, Bad Seed? Mm-hmm. Of the Bad Seed? Yeah, the Bad Seed, yeah. And Did I remember... Huh? They ever reboot the Bad Seed? I could see them doing a reboot of, in like, like modern times now. Yeah, it's I, called Mommy Dearest. Yeah, well, I mean, Children of the Corn. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those are kind of loosely based off that concept. I mean, I, to me, I, I, you could even say almost like Orphan. You know, has his. Orphan, yeah, is very, is very much like it. People yeah. like yeah. that movie a lot. I've never seen it, but people like it a lot. That's an, I think that's another movie, too, that people sleep on as Orphan. For a newer, yeah. Yeah. For, for a newer yeah. horror movie, people appreciate that one. And, and, and like the fact it. of being a real-world concept of something that could kind of happen, considering how that is based off of a story as well. I mean, how terrifying is that? You know, you adopt someone from, you know, another country and you find out they're actually like in their 30s, a little person, you know, and they're a kid. I mean, there's just something so how sinister do, about how that. Do they find out, how do they find out how old she really is? I, I can't remember. I, I think the mom starts doing research into her because she was in so many different homes. They try to find out why but she got shipped around so much. Yeah. And then they come across. She's, she's really problem child. She's the female yeah. problem child. Something like that, but way worse. And they don't like. Junior was bad. Keep giving up on her. 
families keep giving up. Yeah, you can look like a like an angel. She needs her own John Ritter to save her. You know what I mean? <laughs> we all need a John Ritter to save That's her. That's true. It's very true. I miss John Ritter. I love John. Yeah, if we can't have John Ritter, you know, well, at least we have Jason still. That's true. That is he true. Looks, he looks just like his father. Like, he does. I it's scary. I did not watch a movie with Jason Ritter, and there's no denying the fact well, that it's so. It's so father. funny how we even just deviated going to, to Jason Ritter because if you think about it, the Child's Play franchise has had a lot of great actors come up through that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know. I'm so, sorry to jump around. Like that. No, it's all good. No, because it, it all it all ties in with our little people. So yeah. But, I mean, it's funny because if you look at, like, the Chucky series, it's so hard to tell that story from a chronology perspective, considering how young, you know, Alex Vincent was in the first one, second one, and then the third one, he's in military. Yeah, I know somebody that smoked weed with Alex Vincent. This guy right here. Yeah, Billy Coyne. Yeah. I heard Alex Vincent was complete straight edge, and then he smoked some fucking weed with you, and it was just craziness from that from that point on. Well, I, I mean, either way, I mean, you know, it's, it's become, I mean, marijuana has been so, uh, you know, changed and looked at so differently, you know, in recent years. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was fun just, you know, kind of like going up to Alex and just being like, hey, dude, you want to run out back? He's like, yeah, sure, dude. That's and, like the know, best part of going to the conventions, though, is like those times where you get to sneak away with, like, yeah, when no, you know, it's, it's fun. You know, it, 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 no, but, it, but it's also like taken into consideration, like, you know, He's going to have people at some point in his booth. So let's go out, you know, enjoy this real quick. And then I'll let you get back to your thing. And, you know, I'll see you, you know, I'll bounce around, you know. And, you know, but he, Alex Vincent. One of these days, we he, do an he, he's a real good dude. He's a real good dude. an episode strictly on all the people Bill Coyne's party and smoked weed with the Rock and Chuck. That, should, that, could be a, that could be a nice episode right there. I don't know I if I would laugh even, or cry even, or just get Hopefully you both. I want to see you do both. Oh my God. I mean, I, the fetal, I mean, the fetal position in a bottle of crack and is what comes to mind immediately. So I really need to think about it. I know we got to, we can't go that dark. We can't go that dark. Oh, I had, I was getting my chops busted for walking around Scarecon with a bottle of Jameson. <laughs> hardy, hardy. And you were my, and you were my manager of that year. And no, I love, and I love no, 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 scare cat. <laughs> not rocking. The manager. Are you still Bill's manager? What happened with that? Yeah, no, she, <laughs> she dropped that title. For me to be his manager. Godly, is this all legal stuff in court going on right now? Oh yeah. my god, the litigation is nuts <laughs> that the two of us are going through. We're, we're trying to negotiate something out of court, and um, <laughs> you know, thankfully, we our uh, attorneys have been in contact, and it's actually been going really well. So the negotiations are are still going on into the. So I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a, out of this whole deal. You know, for my compensation, I get a large Dunkin' Donuts coffee, a pizza, and some buffalo wings the next time I go over Billy's house. Done deal. And, and the funny thing is, Sign you know, up. that's already a guarantee. <laughs> she was being nice on you, Bill. She was being nice on you. We all seen it. It's <laughs> letting you off easy. Yeah, but Chucky. No, no. Chucky's got to be what you think. Chucky's the king of fun size horror. I know Billy brought up Chucky in Child's Play. He's probably got to be the king. Well, I mean, I do the most uh, recognizable one. I would say. No, no, you get the leprechaun too, though. Yeah, but who do you think yeah, is more recognizable? I mean, I mean, 
I mean, well, the Leprechaun is definitely uh, another notable one, but, I mean, if you talk to people, uh, I mean, Chucky is going to be definitely more on the top of their mind or uh, tip of the tongue when you talk about hindsight killers. I mean, the thing is with Chucky, I mean, it's, while it does have the the comedy and the horror, uh, Leprechaun I always thought was more comedy than horror. I always thought Chucky was a little more, I guess, terrifying. Yeah. Not that first film, that first film is horrifying. That first well, Leprechaun movie is scary, dude. But that first Leprechaun movie was made under such unusual pretenses. Yeah. Because originally it was slated as a PG-13 horror movie. Yeah, and they were going to be integrating actually more comedy. Yeah. But, Mark, but Mark Amin, the head over at Trimark said, listen, I think we really need to make this more horror, make it darker. And I think we could probably sell this, you know, at a much easier rate than kind of where we're at right now, because there's a great deal of indecisiveness going on. And Mark Jones, who directed the film, who actually comes from a background who worked on Scooby-Doo and has, you know, there's actually, if you really look at Leprechaun, there's a big connection to Scooby-Doo, especially in the, uh, the lighting scheme. But with the film overall, it went from the, the tone so weird because the leprechaun, he's not playing it like it's an R-rated role. He's playing it like you know, he's more playing with you. You know, he's, he's more sardonic and malicious, but he's yeah. not that straight killer like a Freddy, which he would have done if the, if the film was actually an R. So when they added all these scenes, I mean, it, it's a very, it's a film you can introduce to a kid. And it's a nice segue to kind of get into the genre because it's not this full in your face horror movie. And here I was thinking that the best horror movie to introduce my nephew to would be Little Monsters and All Along His Child's Play. <laughs> I'm saying Leprechaun. <laughs> one more beat. Yeah. yeah. But even to me, another one is like House 2, another great fantasy slack kind of, or even the first house. These, you know, those that are great. That movie used to scare the shit out of me as a kid. Well, I've always thought like the, for those first two films were, and these are also small creatures because, you know, you have, the caterpillar you have the you know i mean it's these wonderful chris whalis creations you know and these puppets because you know it's just interesting you know how we're talking about all these creature features because you know primarily if you think of it the real glory for these creature features was the 80s that's when they really had the best puppeteering going on you know and their skill set and before then you were doing like Darby O'Gill and the little people, you know, with these beautiful forced perspectives where they really kind of touched, you know, I mean, Darby O'Gill actually plays, I think, a big part in the killer toy subgenre because that was kind of the first times they really figured out how to use um, uh, making people look small. And you had movies like Attack of the Puppet People because they really didn't have the puppets back then because the puppets they were made building back then were more like for it conquer the world where they looked like these bigger-than-life puppets. But when they realized in the 80s with movies like Ghoulies, they could actually, you know, sculpt puppets and kind of do things from underneath with different perspectives where the technology had changed so much, where actual puppetry with these creatures... Um, animation, like the stop-motion exactly, stop 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 animation. I mean, these were beautiful means to basically bring these things to life because... There's been so many creatures throughout the history, you know, small creatures, 
Some look better than others. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. there are some great looking ones. Uh, the gate, the minions and the gate. We'll get to, uh, yeah, think... we'll get to, we'll get to that. We'll oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm bouncing. We got a list, Bill. Yeah. You know, we live uh, in a society, you, Bill. You might have a list. You know, we live, we live in a society, you know. We live in a city, we live in a system where we are controlled by Mr. Fisher, whose real name is Bay. It's okay. Uh, to go back to B, I wanted to mention Bay of Blood real quick. The Mario Bava movie. You guys familiar with that at all? Y'all, you fuck yeah. We watched it together, dude. That's right. I think they say they, that, they say that that is the first slasher movie. Um, because it's the first kind of stalk and kill slasher movie. And for anybody out there that doesn't hasn't seen it, I'm going to spoil the ending for you real quickly. I hate to do it, but I'm going to. But the, there's young people that are at the actual killers, and I think it's one of the craziest twists ever. You're right. They That's were the, like it, these two prepubescent kids, and yeah. it's such a weird, bizarre it's, twist. I mean, we'll do the yeah, we'll do ultimate the, spoiler alert. Sorry, I know. you know He's about Bay of Blood. But it's just such a weird offbeat. You know, it, it almost felt like um, Fellini-esque. But, but, that's those, like, but, but that's those Italian masters. I mean, they, they knew they were beautiful, but it was so dark and twisted. Just, yeah. To spoil it even more for everybody, if, you, if you've never seen the movie, turn off your, your, your transistor radio. What happens is throughout this whole film, you're following point of view-wise uh, from the killer as they kill off different people in weird, almost slasher-like, brutal ways. And the last, the last murder is there's a dude in a boat, and we see through the scope of a gun, and it, it lines up on him, and then bang, shoots him, you see him fall over into the water. And then the next shot is a, a shot of two fucking, like, 13, 12-year-old kids, like, putting a rifle down, and then running away laughing leading you to believe that they've been killing all these adults and having fun doing it the whole time, which is really kind of a crazy for when the movie came out, that must've been quite an ending. You know what I mean? There's, there's another movie. I'm trying to find it right now. And I can't think of what the hell the name of it is. It sounds like really similar, but it's more modern. Like, like, funny games. Funny games is kind of has that vibe. Funny, it's, it's, I don't think it's something about the children, but like, the kids get some kind of viral infection and they go crazy and they start killing all the adults around them and they're all out in like a cabin in the woods and they I know you're right. It was, it was it was like a it was, it was like a weird like uh the crazies twist. Yeah, that that so, was that that like Cub Scout zombie movie that they had floating around? Something it was, it was something like I know no, there was, was the, like, that it was rural. I remember a rural setting. Yeah, it sounds it was like kids. It was in a school. You know what? But it, no, but no, it no, wasn't it Children wasn't. of the Corn. It wasn't it Children of the Corn. Children of the Corn. Right. This movie took place in the in the woods in the winter. They're running around through the snow, killing every adult. It's, it's, it came out in like 2000. Oh, um, um, the uh, I, think I, I think I watched it with you. It was part of the anthology from from a whisker, a whisper to a screen. Uh, Melissa, this, uh, wasn't an anthology. this was a full feature. This wasn't oh, it was. an anthology. Yeah, no, because there was that too at the Cameron Mitchell segment, a whisper to a screen, which Not had Battle killer Royal, Confederate though. kids. Not Battle Royal, is it? <laughs> no, I'll Battle Royale is a great. It is a great flick. This yeah, cool. The sequel's weird. It's like fucking Battle Royal on Acid. It's crazy. Um, it was, part two was too much for me, and it's really hard. Very colorful. For me to say it's very really colorful for some reason. I don't know why. They're wearing like orange, like like team colors, if I remember correctly, which was weird. 
I like the the gangsterness of the first one, where like it's just a bunch of kids. It would the, battle royal would fucking play perfectly nowadays. You could reboot that. I hate to say reboot, but you could That's retell that story game. right now, and it would make perfect sense. It would be it's just as fitting. The Exactly, exactly. It's the Hunger Games. I'm not talking about Hawkman's thirst for hookers in fucking California. World. I do I'm love my Stanley Tucci, though. I'm not making fun of the Alexander Hawk. Hawk is a very clean man. He does. What was that look? You just, you see a ghost? You just look like you've seen a spirit next to you. No, no. There's noise outside. Huh? Did you say the cops were outside? No, no. outside. Alright, I'm going to pretend I heard that second part just to keep it moving. You, you, it was glitching out on you. So, um... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know how much longer I might be on this. This thing keeps on glitching. It keeps on kicking me off. No worries, man. If you can't get back on, no big. Next up, though, is the Critters. We're going to talk about Critters, Hawk. Are you familiar with Critters? The fuzzy little, uh... They're not really fuzzy. Oh, yeah, they're yeah. like I'm porcupine, really right? They're like spikes. Yeah, I they're mean, not uh, really... The shit out of me when when they came out. They're creepy. And then they would, you know, like get together and be this big, you know, like big ball at yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah. All the teeth everywhere. Pair of balls from outer space. Yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, they're aliens essentially, but yeah, but that they're creepy by design. The Kyoto Brothers did a brilliant job great with just job. the concept. I mean, to take, because they said, we don't want any guys in suits. We want something that we can't do. And they're like, let's have them bounce around like, like balls. That was the concept. And it's like, well, let's make them, you know, round where, and when they come up, you know, they kind of like this motion where they were able to figure out, okay, form, following function. How can we build something, you know, based off this easy concept? And they were able to do that. And um, a lot of those were just like the balls rolling was like shot in reverse. I mean, you know, they were really smart about the effects and just, it was really smart, good filmmaking with Stephen Herrick, who, you know, did Bill and Ted and Dominic Meir, who was writing for years for Full Moon. I mean, it was actually a really good film, that first one. Great cast, too. Yeah. Scott Grimes yeah. was it was a heartthrob that girls loved back then. Billy Green Bush was this great character actor from the 60s, so many cowboy films. And Emmett Walsh for, um, what was that, Blood Diner? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, but just uh, Dee Wallace, I mean, the mom yeah. in E.G. Yeah, I mean... You know, even um, Billy Zane is the, his first movie. He was killed in that movie. And when I met Zane, I actually talked to him about the seriousness of his death scene. <laughs> yeah, no, I, but we did, and I, and I'm buddies with his handler. So have to give him a Snickers before you talk to him about it. Well, you no, know, I didn't. He's got a handler. It does sound like you got to give. No, but the, no, but the guy who who works with him at conventions, I've yeah, known years. So either way, it was a nice, easy segue, and he was just like, you know. Wow, this kid is actually right. Yeah, yeah, of course you have to get to an honest place, you know, when you die. And it's, of course it's going to be uncomfortable, but you know, when you get there, you get there. It's just like, you don't like want to be there, but you know, you are there in that moment. So you it was think, cool uh, hearing, it's just really cool hearing that from him. You think Critters was pitched as a more extreme, hardcore attack of the Killer Tomatoes? But Killer Tomatoes was essentially a parody. Well, that's what I mean, more like extreme, serious. I, when I think of those movies, I think that they're, the, they're very much alike with, with the way they move and stuff, just the tone's different. Like yeah. The way they, they get thrown, the way they just literally throw a fucking critter, 
across the floor and put in reverse is the same exact way they would do it to Killer Tomato. Well, I, I think by the latest... At least, with, at least with critters, though, you can't see, like, the fishing line attached. Well, that's what I mean by, like, they said, we're going to take this and go, but do it, like, more intense, more scarier. You know, definitely, yeah, there, if anybody, th- you know, nobody's trying to say Killer Tomatoes is fucking no. serious movie. <laughs> but, oh, God, but it's always a better fucking favorite of mine. left. Hawk was so turned off by well, the comedy left. I, I think well, Critters yeah. works on a lot of different levels than yeah. just a creature feature because I love that it has bounty hunters. I mean, bounty hunters, you know, like you think of Star Wars, you know, the whole concept of the bounty hunter. There's something, you know, that's old school fun that you enjoy. And the fact that you have Ugg and Lee in the character of these two wonderful actors, there's, they bring another dimension where it's not this straight ahead harm movie where it could be so. Their names are Ugg and Lee. And <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hysterical, <laughs> but I mean, it works. And, you know, other beautiful makeups by like Christopher Biggs in the beginning of that film, um, when you have that um, hologram from the alien. So, I mean, there's a lot of really good visuals in that film, but it's so 80s because even if you think of the song, you know, that's throughout the film, um, uh, what is it, Shadow of the Night? I think so. I used to be able to sing it. Yeah, I mean, but it's just, I mean, it's so perfectly 80s, but it's so much fun. And Cisco and Ebert both love them, you know. I think, like, a lot of the a lot of the more fun-type horror movies all seem to have come from the 80s. Like, any actually good horror, because after the 80s, they kind of went downhill. But, like, just the, the way they were put together and, like, presented, it was so much more fun to watch a horror movie from the 80s as opposed to, the, like, the big blockbuster-type movies of today. I want to take a moment of silence for DMX. Yes. So now we're going Very to do, we're going to do a dog fight segment. Which dog would win the fight, Cujo or the dog for man's best friend? Ooh. I know who would win the fight, obviously, man's best friend. Who's your I favorite? Was gonna say, a better question. I mean, Who's your favorite be- of the two? It would be a hell of a fight, no matter how you cut it. I don't I think so, because when I think about it, man's best friend's a robot dog. It would fucking yeah. not, annihilate Cujo. Cujo yeah. is a big fucking lazy dog. Yeah, no, but Cujo, I mean, Cujo could have been like, I don't know, I don't even know why they made a fucking movie about Cujo. To tell you the truth, dude, uh, that's like the the fucking worst. Cujo tell never that to Stephen King. No, seriously, tell that to Stephen King then. <laughs> I'm sure Stephen King feels the same way. That's why he drank, probably, dude. Like the 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 book. Itself is a great book. Yeah, I would love like to read it. I, I own it. I should read it. Because... Watch, just to watch a movie about a rabid dog for like an hour and a half is kind of like. Eh. Yeah, but the book sounds. I don't know. I'd have to read it because Stephen King's a, a great writer. I yeah, know I, 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 well, like I said, I love all of his books, but his movies are usually hit or miss depending on who it is that makes them. I don't love all of his books. I think sometimes it could, the, the books can be a little too much. Um, I believe Cujo, that's the same like, director as Cat's Eye. I think it was Louis Teague who actually okay. directed Cujo. And he, I mean, because when he did Cujo later or right around that time is when he also was offered Cat's Eye. And that's right. I think it, I've it, heard that before, actually. I know that from a commentary or something. And, 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 what's, and what's interesting is how Cat's Eye, also keeping in mind with the small creature, how we kind of talked earlier. Oh. 
is the little troll. Um, scary and, and, and not only was that scary, I, I, I don't know if I was scared more by the troll or the use of every breath you take throughout that entire film. That's a good point. It's, it, it's a great film, but that song was so overplayed in that movie. And when it's a great song, but it's just, I think Quitter's Inc. Is my favorite segment. Oh, it's a great segment. I love that segment. The fingers. Segment. I mean, the real mafioso element. I mean, James. Jimmy James Woods. Woods. He's amazing in everything. Everybody hates Jimmy Woods now. We love him at Shock Treatment with Melon Brady. I, I love James Woods. He got too political, and people hated him for a little bit. But I think everybody can calm down because they're happy with who's in there. Supposedly, I don't know. Some people are. The people that were unhappy last time are now happy. So now it's the yin and the yang effect. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> now, <laughs> now James Woods is angry, and we'll be seeing more glorious films. I would love to work with James Woods. James Woods is fucking incredible. Super great actor, and he uh, he's one of those actors. He is kind of one of those actors that you can say that there is going to be another James Woods. You know what I mean? Because the, the no, way he, he's his own person. Like he had, it, yeah, he had such a weird. It was like a it was like a weird leading man thing. It wasn't your casual leading man. It was a weird, almost underbelly. He always had this weird come from the underground vibe to him because he what you know he never really had that really handsome look. You know what I mean? He, he but he was talented and. He just, he has like a look, like a seedy look to him. You know what I mean? Which I think it helped him, you know? Like yes, the foe has it too. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, it's but, like a Steve Buscemi. He just has a really Buscemi's great like look. like that too, him. exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, to me, I my, one of my personal favorites is Videodrome with James Bush. Buscemi's Woods. a dude that if in regular life, you wouldn't want him like putting your fucking roast beef in the bag and stop and shop. But because he, he's an acting and a great actor, he, people like him. And he used to be a firefighter. He like, does a lot for people. When, when 9-11 happened, he, yep. he came out of retirement for being a firefighter and volunteered his time to go down there and help. Yeah, yeah I think... Um, he's a good guy, too, supposedly. It's like, and then, then that's scenes. like things that people, you know, fail to realize is that, like, all I think Dennis Farina did life. the same thing. Yeah. 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 You know, people forget that they're actors and that, you know, they had lives prior to becoming actors. So it's like... Yeah, some of them are in the service, some of them are in the military. It just makes you realize what special breed of stupid most people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they automatically think that they just was born into acting. I mean, granted, there are those families that they're born into it, but you have these people that came up and they had real jobs prior to Mm -hmm. getting that big break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so and just being able to give back in some way. Uh, one person who I have a brand new uh, found appreciation for is Dave Grohl. When I heard about the fires out in California uh, a little about a year ago, he was getting all this barbecue and he was cooking for all these, you know, people that were, you know, fighting in these fires. And right. to me, Dave Grohl is just even one of the most amazing human beings in the world. You know, I mean, I just hear he's a really cool guy. I mean, Keanu Reeves, another one, you know, just yeah. they had the coolness factor and they, they give back. They're so charitable. Tyler, Tyler Perry. I, 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 yeah. How cool would it be just to be friends with those people? Think, think of that for a second. You know, you could talk, call up Keanu Reeves to talk about Bill and Ted or anything, John Wick, anything you want to talk about. You could hit up fucking Dave Grohl to talk about the Nirvana days, what Kurt Cobain was like, all that good shit, all that, what, you know, the, the beginning of the grunge era. We can get a good interview out of him. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be nice just, you know, whether it's have a drink with them and, you know, chat or being able to form some sort of a relationship or whatever. But I mean, you know, just, yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, those are amazing people, you know, I mean, you want to surround yourself with the best people as much as you possibly can. And, um, and that's what the beauty about them doing what they do is too. Yeah. Cause they give, they give, they give back. You have your celebrities that they give back, but they're doing it so that they get that. Well, that's how Tom Thomerson was. Yeah. You know, they, was- because they want the credit for it where people like Keanu Reeves or Tyler Perry or, you know, whoever, Joe Schmo, they do it out of the kindness of their hearts because they want to give back to the community that's been supportive of them. Yeah, They're not yeah. out there doing it just because, oh, hey, I want to be on the news. I have a new movie coming out next week. No, I mean, yeah. I feel like Tom, like Tom Thomason, you know, when he was Doll Man, he surrounded himself with demonic toys, you know, to keep things good. Now I know, Billy, you're a big fan of Doll Man and demonic toys. I, mean, I love Tom Thomason. I love demonic toys. Um, that was good. I actually listened to uh, Ken Hall's uh, interview on Without uh, Your Kenneth Head. Kenneth, the man, yeah. And um, they were talking about the full moon days. But the one thing that always stood up in my head the most when it, com- when it came to those films was that giant jack attack uh, a face that mm. they built that Tim Thomerson jumps onto the doll yep. and comes off. And they, I really, I was kind of hoping they were touch base on that, but in concept alone, I loved it because this is where Full Moon really was trying to do their verses, you know, films, you know, early on. I mean, Full Moon already established their movies are like comic books from yeah. the very beginning. So of course they want to make their own crossovers. This was years before Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. So when they did Doll Man versus Demonic Toys, this was really the testing ground, but Charlie had already made movies of compilations. So he was splicing together dominant demonic toys. So in reality, only about, I think 30 minutes or less is actually technically new footage. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting how they kind of put that together, but it's still cohesive and it works and it, you know, the fans both enjoyed it for what it was worth. And, you know, Made us money back, probably. You know, might have taken a few years, but so be it. I mean, they're fun films. I mean, you know, they're they're Full Moon is just these weird comic book iterations of small creatures that you either love them, you don't understand them, or like, what the hell is this? But if you love them, then it's like, you know, whatever. Like, you have your verses. There's yeah, the, the even like Tara, you can pretty much do a whole. We could do a whole show just on Full Moon. Because it, it, so much like, I mean, evil bond versus ginger dead man. I mean, there's a versus wow. there, you know. I mean, when you have, but like, I remember hearing Chucky versus Leprechaun early, early, many years ago. And this was a concept that they wanted to do, but they, but it was like Freddy versus Jason. They didn't have the rights then. So it's like, were they going to do something? No. But I've always loved the concept of like these small creatures, you know, just, having these verses, you know, would they, would they ever come to fruition or not? It's almost like, is Hawk there? Where the hell's Alex? He left a while. Yeah, he passed. He passed. Um, I feel like an asshole. I'm sorry. Rest in peace. He'll be born again. What was I saying? I'm so sorry. You were saying that we need to move into the next letter, I think. Yeah, let's just go into the next letter. <laughs> we deviated so much. Uh, yeah. No, I'm I sorry. We were talking about 
Tom Thomerson. <laughs> what about Tim Thomerson? <laughs> Tim Thomerson. Losing my mind. I love Tim. He's the best. <laughs> I actually watched uh, Near Dark just the other night. Classic, classic, classic. Got a father. Near Dark's classic. Um, Dolly Dearest is a film I wanted to bring up because I like Dolly Dearest a lot. You guys familiar with that movie? It's like a 90s. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, 90s. Um, uh, one of those, like, you know, it's it's almost like filled with cheese, but it's actually really, it's, there's some elements that are kind of creepy, if I remember well, correctly. By story, actually, I just posted about this on Facebook earlier today. By virtue of story, Dolly Dearest is much darker in tone than Child's Play. I believe Child's that. Child's Play, you have the serial killer's soul transferred into this doll. But the concept of this ancient God that has been unearthed and basically putting a piece of themselves into whatever intimate object they can comes across this factory right next to this excavation where things were going down. And now these dolls are reincarnated with this evil spirits, you know, inside yeah. them. I think that concept is way more terrifying than, you know, a serial killer because this thing is ancient. It's dark. It's malicious. And what's even scarier is you have Rip Torn as an archaeologist. And I love Rip Torn. I know Rip Torn's the best. That's why I'm giving intergalactic care. <sighs> Rip, Torn, uh, Rip Torn's the best. Him and Freddy Godfinger is the best. I know in Dolly Darest, her, her, the doll is possessed by someone, Bill. The soul of Kirstie Alley, if you remember. <laughs> remember that? She's locked up in there. Don't tell the public. Cheers. Yeah. Okay. Kirstie Alley. Uh, Dead Alive. You can't, you can't talk about fun-size horror and not bring up Dead Alive with the baby. You know what I mean? Well, the yeah. monkey even. Well, yeah, but those, I mean, those things were, were, those movies were amazing for what they were worth. I love early Peter Jackson oh, stuff. It was phenomenal. so boombastic, over-the-top, audacious. Yeah. And the thing that's great is they were all great practical effects. This was, was the beginning of, you know, not just Peter Jackson, but Richard Taylor with, you know, forming Weta, doing all these amazing effects. And then this company that they create goes on to win all these Academy Awards, you know, yeah. for the Lord of the Rings films. Wingnut, um, your mother yeah. ate my dog. Yeah. Well, yeah, Wingnut is his company, but Weta... Uh, was the company that was making all the puppets for like... Weta, isn't that the moment. new... Um, who did the flap song? Well, a Weta is actually a type of insect that's <laughs> okay. native. I thought you were talking but, about something else, but all right. Well, I mean, I'm a little Weta down there, if that's what oh, you shit. mean. <laughs> that was some, some graveyard shift in there, too. I like that. Little graveyard, you know. The, the, my I thought you had your out. graveyard shift talking about the the flooded basement while talking about oh, the flooded basement. Talking yeah, about no. vagina. Yeah, no, I'm doing my, I'm doing my, my, I'm doing my Peter Griffin voice. Like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. I have a bad case of swamp ass over here. That's kind of how I'm seeing it as Bill swamp needs to ass. Throw some salt oh, that avocado salad you just ate. Oh, it's so good, so good. <laughs> the pine, the pine nuts are going right through yeah. Oh, I know they're, they're all go, they're all going through my heart, my lungs, and they're just you know, <laughs> through the hot. We got to bring up dolls, of course, too. You know what yeah, I mean? Such good. Rest in, rest in peace, Joe Jaffo Carrier. Every time I, I think of dolls, I think of Joe because he looks like that. I, 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 the I, other I, dude I, who passed away, rest in peace, peace, both gentlemen. Well, yeah, Stephen Lee passed away. But Stephen Lee, I, I, I when I just did a, a podcast recently about um, Ghoulies Three, 
and we actually talked about Stephen Lee. So, and we, we had a really nice thing about dolls. But yeah, uh, Stuart Gordon, um, of course, reanimator from beyond classic horror. Um, he really didn't understand the pitch and tone of this when this was thrown at him. But he was reading a book called Digits of Enchantment by Bruno Bettelheim, which is really about fairy tales and kind of the horror elements that are really in there. But Disney took them all out. So, so it's like, let's make this gothic fairy tale, but we're not going to bullshit you. Right. And Charlie Band was saying, you know, I want this to be more like Reanimator. So they had scenes where they were like pulling intestines out, you know, with these like little, you know, like farmer dolls or whatever. And apparently this footage exists from what I hear, but I've never seen it. And they were saying like, this doesn't work. It just doesn't fit the tone. I mean, there's a real, there's some, there's a, there's a real magical sense to this movie. And there's a real fairy tale component. So I think if we stick with this component instead of trying to put the gourd down your throat, I think it will work better shit, to our advantage. Dirty. Fuck. No, but it's just, but that. this, but this, but no, but if, interestingly enough, you yeah. think about it, this was even controversial for Charlie because he was like, well, I want this to be gory, but it's like, this is kind of tame. This is kind of like, I want to do something a little heavier. But when the film came out, it was incredibly well received. And this was the first time before Charlie had done Puppet Master or anything. So this was kind of the first Rosetta Stone. This was that, you know, foundation where the killer toy thing, I think, really took off. Well, what was the first big movie for Charlie? The first successful big, like, for the for those iconic films he's known for that he had not really, well, he had his hand in other, you know, like Stuart Gordon directed, of course, or like Reanimator and shit. But what was the first <laughs> real big one? Well, I think it was either when he was he was helping with the um, Andy Warhol um, Dracula Dracula and Frankenstein. He had a hand in, I believe, distributing those. But he but Charlie was also one of the first people to create the horror video game as we know it. Uh, Texas, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre in Halloween. Yeah. Um, he acquired and he he put those out on Atari. I mean, so it's really kind of interesting how we got a, we got some episodes on that. If anybody's curious, bits of horror, bits of yeah, horror with Lamont, right? Yeah, yeah. Lamont. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know, but I mean, even though Charlie's probably best known for the Puppet Master, I think his first legitimate big success was when he directed Mansion of the Doomed because that yeah, was that his first solo venture, and that was, I think, Richard Basar, Gloria Graham, a very young... It was one of Lance Henriksen's very first roles. I can appreciate Lance Henriksen. I, and it was I, actually, honestly, I haven't even heard of that movie. So. No, but it, yeah. and, it's also, and it's also one of Stan Winston's first... Stan Winston, OG fucking legend. Rest yeah. in peace. So all the people that were in this movie... I mean, yeah, I mean, it's funny, because even though it was Charlie who made it, I mean, he's worked with so many people in the business that have gone on dead, so sad. many amazing careers. Yeah. I mean, Stan Winston is probably one of the... But big, biggest. big though, Bill, big. Like, when you think of, like, like Reanimator, fucking huge, will always be but in for, the category. Yeah, I mean, but for, em- for Empire... Haunted Mansion or whatever, I don't... I probably I think, don't remember what it was. I, have, I already forgot the name of Haunted Mansion, whoever it's called, you know what I mean? But it's okay, Bill. But Rian, like Reanimator, which one was the I, I first? Would say, I would say Reanimator. Was the one? I love what you're doing. How I'm just like I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm trying to get you. But you're the man on this. Rean, no, Reanimator is. I think is probably Charlie's biggest accomplishment as a producer. Yeah. Um, I would say just by virtue of the success of the Puppet Master series and his affiliation. 
I, I think based off those two credits alone are probably the, the, the biggest things that I think he has the right to say. Because I believe Reanimator, I think, was Stuart Gordon's like first real breakthrough. It was. Yeah. It was his breakthrough. That, was that Charlie's too? Was that like his first breakthrough produced success? Like real success? Well, no, because but, real but no, but the story behind that is when, <laughs> when Brian Usna when Brian Usna was yeah. friends with Stuart in Chicago, um, they went out to Hollywood and they, one of the first people that Brian met was Charlie's father, Albert Band. Yeah. Albert is actually probably one of the greatest unsung heroes in Hollywood that people don't actually know about. This him, he goes back to days with John Ford. This guy works in the asphalt jungle, you know, the red badge of courage. This is Charlie's father. Cool. So the interesting enough, when he was directing some of these films for his son, he wasn't that thrilled. Ghoulies too. Ghoulies too. He's like, I don't want to direct a fucking movie with puppets. And so the first AD was kind of tossed into a situation where, you know, I mean, but there was just, I mean, Ghoulies too. I'm learning more about I'm reading. Charlie's dad directed Ghoulies. Yeah. Charlie's dad directed the second Ghoulies. Charlie's dad. I didn't know that. I didn't either. Weird. Yeah. Charlie's dad directed Dr. Mordred with him. That was a co-direction of the both That's of them. Very weird. Um, Kaufman's dad was involved in the beginning too, which was not filmmaking wise, but Charlie, like financially. Charlie was an actor in a few of those sword and sandal films playing like Hercules, Hercules yeah, yeah. his kid, because he produced, his father produced those films. So I see Melissa laughing over there, you know, being like, are you serious? No, and I took a sip out of my, my water bottle and I freaking She got a spillage. <laughs> but, um, but it's just, it's really interesting because when Charlie grew up, I mean, in Italy, I mean, you know, his father, they come from this very kind of well-respected in the arts. His grandfather was actually a famous painter, who's, or, who, but as an artist himself and how his brother is also a great composer. I mean, he composed Reanimator, Richard Band. So either way, but this family, you know, they came together and they made these films, you know, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know, I mean, they made over, I don't know, almost 350 films now. I mean, you know, quite a bit. But but by family virtue, you know, in the 70s and 80s, there was a real family dynamic to it. But yeah, Charlie's dad directed Ghoulies too, Albert Band. That's kind of cool. There was less movie, uh, less money motivation, I think, in that time. Where, yeah, they were money, they were trying to make money, um, but they're artistically being done, and I think um, there was more supportive. Now, they want to be art- like no, people- that's the thing. They want to be artistic, but Albert was like, you know, real no nonsense. Like, listen, guys, you got ten pounds of shit in a twelve pound bag here. We need to basically cut shit out. When you- he was a very efficient filmmaker. So when, when people like Ted Nicolau and Stuart Gordon, you know, really wanted to kind of have these amazing visions, it was Albert who was like, well, you know, guys, we need to pull back a little, you know, we need to, we can spend money here, we can't spend money there. And then if something went awry, then it was like, oh, great. So, you know, it's like they don't want to cut any more corners than they already have to because they know of certain budgetary constraints. But I feel like people when you have know. someone smart, like Albert like and his body of work, I mean, it, it, he helped these productions to a fair degree. Yeah. He's one of the, he's, he, no, no one talks about now. dogs. Did you ever see, you know, the horror movie dogs from the 1970s dogs. Um, yeah. No, no, the hound from hell. 
Uh, what was it? it was the Hound from Hell, Zoltan, or something like that. It's also known as Dogs, or but it's a really excellent. Alice Cooper is in it, right? No, that's Monster. No, Dog. that's Monster Dog. Yeah, but this this was a made for TV movie. It's, it was really good. I've seen the movie. DVD, uh, the Blu-ray for Dogs because there's a Blu-ray of it. I've contemplated yeah. buying, but I've never seen it. And it actually stars my god, Michael Pataki. Your god? Yeah. Be careful. You can get striked down with lightning. Well, no, because Charlie the big man upstairs, he's basically so much busier dealing with everyone else's stuff. If I need, if I have an issue, if I need to ask for anything, I pray to Michael Pataki. I've been doing it for over 15 years. Don't fucking judge me, Fisher. Hey, hey. tweet his own, man. I never judge a man on his spiritual path. You know what I mean? Michael Pataki's a good man. Michael Pataki, you heard that here. Your number one fan. Come on, uh, Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie and Bill. We'll interview you. Uh, I mean, this is weird. We're going from Tiny Terrors to basically a Billy Coin Honest Bio Hour. And then I we go to E. actually talk to you on a spiritual level. we go to E. Never then we go to E for elves. we go to E for elves. What a crazy yeah. world. I Let's can't believe that. it's all happening in one night. I can't either. Let's redeem yeah. ourselves with Dan Haggerty. And uh, basically saving the world from uh, Nazi elves. I owe I owe Bill Coyne for, for for owning this movie and seeing this film. Yeah, you bought it from me, and uh, yeah, I bought it. I paid cash money. You did, and I miss it. And I know it's you in a good home. It back. I no, I mean I I know it's in a good home. I mean I, I need to get the DVD, but I mean the movie is so fucking weird. I mean it's just you know like these. You can tell it's one doll. I mean, you can tell it's called elves, but there's only yeah. one elf. Yeah. There's only one, but on the cover, it makes it look like there's more than one. No, yeah. there's only one of these things. I mean, the creature is—he can't close his mouth. Um, he won't be Dan able to Haggerty is Dan Haggerty is playing like the Santa Claus character that's just you know who hates he hates life. Who's um, Grizzly Adams? Who's like yeah. int- super scary, intimidating, just in general? I feel he he reminds me of the dude from Witchboard. Rest in peace, uh, Kate. What a Tony Katane. Katane. What's her name? Caitlin Katane. Tony Katane. Yeah, I just heard Tony Katane. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, Tony. Ride that white snake into the nether void, my lady. Billy's doing one for you, doing you one better. Um, as we move, we got Exorcist too, which Exorcist is up there too, because you know, with Reagan being a kid, I kind of put that in fun size horror a little bit. She's yeah. a handful, you know what I mean. Um, but once Satan who's got out of her, she was all right again. You know what I mean. That's what. That's well, how I feel. Exorcist too is one of those movies that just—it's almost like Psycho too. I mean, it, there's very few films that can be almost just as good as the original in the genre. Very few. And I thought Exorcist II, The, Heret- the Heretic. Not as good as the first one. Three? It comes close to yeah, it. It comes good. pretty close. Part three? You're thinking of part three, I think. No, I mean, sure? I, like part three, part three, the one with Brad Dourif. Yeah, yeah. You know, That's usually um, the one people like more. Like, they want no, but I think, I think three... I don't know what it is because I know two gets shit on. I think oh, all three are actually really good. I don't know I why. Gotta I gotta rewatch two. I gotta rewatch two because I remember two not being that good. Two but gets I, a I lot of shit. I don't know why, but when I rewatch it, I'm like, I enjoy this for what it's worth. It's actually a lot of fun. I, I, I people make it like a tar- an easy target, like it gets picked on, mm. and I kind of see it, but I'm like, 
I think they don't like Linda Blair. I don't think Linda Blair is like like a likable. I don't got I got no beef with her, but I think people don't. Melissa, really like the look on your face screen. is like utter confusion. Yeah, no. Mel don't, I don't think Mel finds her likable. I don't like her, but I'm trying to get comfortable, and it's not happening either. She's a super freak. <laughs> She's super freaky. She gave Rick James a run for his money, so uh, she definitely what, had the, I mean, she I definitely did. had the devil in her. You know what I mean? Don't Charlie Murphy. The devil was in her in more ways than one, I heard. Yeah. Uh, next, we'll keep it moving. and We'll jump into Todd Browning's Freaks. I mean, when you want to talk about uh, fun-sized horror, some things that are a little under the waist that kind of horrify you a little bit, you'd have to go with this movie Freaks. You know, the film uh, Todd Browning directed Dracul, Dracula yeah. with fucking your boy Bela Lugosi. <laughs> and... Uh, he fucking destroyed his whole career by making this film called Freaks because it was a little too much for the society to handle. The public was because what he did is he took actual people well, from the circus. I, yeah, and, I, there was just a, there was that yeah, was another thing that came up on Eli Roth's uh, history of horror masterpiece. And, yeah, that genius. Movie, it is I quite think, genius. I think that movie's fantastic. I, it might not be fair mm-hmm. to the people that were involved, and that the only the only sadness that I would say that could come with that film is maybe those, maybe that the performers in the, in the film might not have been, but then, you know, treated appropriately, but maybe they were, we weren't there. So we don't know. Exactly. I think there's a double edged sword to this whole thing because yes, were they exploited? They were, but I have met people at horror conventions that have Rosie, the pinhead tattoos. Right. And some of these characters really hit a nerve. Mm-hmm really hit a nerve and, and i think the movie there's something unsettling about maybe us at our ultimate weakness where we might think of ourselves like what if we weren't in the condition we're in where we are lucky enough but if we weren't if we almost saw ourselves as these people whether if it was a well, in, I, in a physical form or even in some emotional context as well yeah. so and this film really fucks with your head too well, I, I mean, think the whole gibble gobble, gibble gobble, one of us, one of us. You can't help but you get sucked into that because they're like, you know, you are one of us, become one of us, accept us. And when you reject, when when you reject something, when you can't go with it, that's kind of like where the film unfolds. I'm yeah. with you. I think people don't like it because of. Um... The it was way very that they, controversial. I mean, it well, was, yeah, I think that it didn't like the feeling feeling well, it gave them. Well, they, and, and as much as as much as the controversy was around it, it didn't stop them when they did that season, the freak show series season of American Horror. Right, so right. Father, they then. what to go to go to kind of devil's advocate with what Bill was saying. Uh, I think it's more of like you know society really looks down on these people as like less than human. So the yeah. fact that they're showing that in a film, showing themselves being ugly, and then they get their comeuppance, I think that's what really upset society. Upset it's almost like if you were like, let's say if you were a dude who owned slaves, right? And you watched a movie about a slave rising up and killing the slave owner's family and stuff, you'd be like, whoa, dude, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a little too much. No, we don't need to see that. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, 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 to, or to keep it now. or to keep it on on parallel with where we're talking, yeah. and I know we mentioned briefly already in passing, it brilliant, almost like the segment with uh, Corbin Burnson and yeah. you know, in um, uh, Tales from the Hell Hood. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's one of the greatest comeuppance, you know, um, 
really is. segments. And I think that movie, I, I'll wait till we get to it. But, that whole know. movie's come up in every yeah. like segment. It's such a powerful it, yeah. film. And still to this it. day. Tales from, so the Hood, with the Tales from the Hood to me is a very important film that I think is should be part of them now, unfortunately, because it's well, just... It should be. They tried to do sequels that were no good. I was, like, depressed when I seen how bad that sequel was because I yeah. really love the first one. I think that first one's fucking a great movie. Clarence Williams III, I think, Phenomenal. is one of the greatest actors Phenomenal. ever. Phenomenal. Yeah. Rest in peace? Uh, I believe so. I think so, yeah. He's another actor. There'll never be another one like him. He's so the mystique to him, like him and Johnny Witherspoon. Yeah, I think were two, probably two of my favorite over the top. You different, know, yeah. Actors. They're, they're in two different, different directions, but like you know, those personalities are huge. Yeah, very big. But uh, you know, getting back with the whole killer, Clarence Williams the third, you wouldn't want to fuck with. No, you know what I mean. I mean like, no. he, I get the vibe, dude. He'd, like, lean into you and say something that you don't want to know, and that'd be the end of the whole thing. Well, like, all, right, all right, dude, all right. I, I think of Sam Jackson very much, and Clarence Williams almost would kind of have, like, the same sort of, like, you don't want to fuck Sam with Sam me. Sam Jackson's watered-down Clarence Williams. I think Clarence Williams would make Sam Jackson cry in real life. <laughs> I, Dude, he is... Even roles where Clarence Williams is supposed to be, like, a nice guy... Or like a regular dude, like he comes off creepy and like, and in a good way. And I love him, but he comes off like you don't want to deal with him. Like he'd be, he would have been perfect uh, if the Burbs was made by Tyler Perry. He would have been yeah. a great Kofak, my family member. <laughs> the the only thing I I wasn't too thrilled about what I found out about Clarence Williams is how when he walked off set and he basically quit half baked. Wow, um, what happened? He basically apparently something was said. Jim, this isn't Jim Brewer's stand-up, and I thought this was fascinating. Hmm. He's like, yeah, I know the guy who plays, you know, Clarence Williams, like, he wants to walk off set. And it's like, we have to film everything we need to today with him. And they filmed everything with him by the end of that workday. And Brewer was, he, this was the first time he ever got stoned on set. And he got so paranoid. He's like, I'm going to get arrested for, like, working on a movie called Half-Baked and Unbaked. So, that, you know, he was paranoid, but, you know... Just, I don't know. That was just one of those weird situations about Clarence Williams. But I love him and everything. And I just think he's just like, I mean, he's a badass motherfucker. I mean, you know, you just, you don't mess with someone like people of that virtue who, because they've been, they've been, they're so worldly. They've, he works so much and, you know, he's very much respected. I, so, I bet he yeah. was, I bet he's a super nice guy. You know how Ray, like our, our Ray, yeah. looks and has an intimidating look to him. But he's like a sweetheart guy. I think it's kind of like that. Um, I'm gonna try and speed this up a little bit. Ghoulies, we can't we can't not talk about ghoulies. Um, Bill, you want to say anything about the ghoulie films? Or Mel- Melissa, you got this. I, this is I, your favorite I, movie series. I I just love ghoulies. Go to college. <laughs> can't order. <laughs> Actually, just, that movie is just so much fun, and like we've had so many drunken nights of watching this movie together. <laughs> It's yeah. Not, yeah. When you, when you're a smaller creature like that, you almost it's like you can't do it without having comedy. You know what I mean? Like, what is there any is there any real creature creature things that never goes into the comedy aspect? I don't know if there is. Even that Dolly Daris, I think she slides into comedy. She gets moving. At movie. some point, they, they they do a little bit. Yeah, she. Well, I think I think by virtue they kind of have to. You have to. I think you do. Yeah. Yeah. 
the yeah. only one I can think of that was kind of straight laced was uh, David Dakota's Beasties, but that was it was it was cartoony. But that they tried to, you know, make it more a little like a seriousness to it. But it's just yeah, I think it's just to, like just to not like scare the living bejesus out of kids forever with having toys. <laughs> there, there is a movie on my list uh, called Rumple Stiltskin. Kevin S. That's a no. good one too. That, that was pretty that. There wasn't that much comedy in that, if I remember correctly. No, there was. Oh, that was that was, yeah, was, that was, com- that was yeah. comedy, but that was that's a that's another one that's like really slept on because that's like deep on that B horror movie list. Yeah, and um, <laughs> there's a great there's a great role uh, because it's the same director as Leprechaun. Oh, actually, uh, did he do did he do Rumble Stiltskin? He did Pinocchio's Revenge. I know he did Pinocchio's that's Revenge. One that's good too. He, he, yeah, he did do Pinocchio. Did he Revenge. do both of them? And he also did Triloquist. Did he do both? Did he do um, the first one I said? I don't know if he did. What, Triloquist? Um, Mark Jones? We mentioned uh, Leprechaun. Rumpelstiltskin. I don't know if he did. Rumpelstiltskin, the same director of Rumpelstiltskin is Mark Jones, who did Leprechaun. Okay, uh, yeah, Pinoc- that's what that was. And I know yeah. Kevin S. Tenney did that Pinocchio's Revenge movie. Yeah, Kevin S. Tenney, I believe, was Pinocchio's Revenge. Yeah, yeah. But, right, yeah, but both I of those movies. that was Gabor Talos' effects. So whenever you see... Um, but Gabe has done so many of these films, you know, right. with, uh, you know, between the Leprechaun, Pinocchio's Revenge. Uh, he was also a puppeteer on Gremlins, which we haven't even touched base on yet. Yeah, we're in G's. Um, we might as well. But yeah, I mean, Gremlins, I mean, you know, here's this horror movie that was written by Chris Columbus that, you know, was rewritten to a point, told to him by Spielberg saying, make this more kid friendly because, you know, Gizmo was supposed to turn into Stripe. And it was a very different story. If one of them gets separated, all the Gremlins are coming after you. So, and, and they were eating people, like they were going to like McDonald's and eating people and not the food. You know, the, the, they killed the dog. The mother's head comes rolling down the stairs. All that was soft pedals. And when the finished piece is this kind of family-friendly film, even though there is some slight horror undertone, but, but it's a very family-friendly kind of 80s generational thing that was very accepted. Gremlins 3 is in production right now. It's been announced. Did you hear about that? It's been years. I'm just, I don't know. I, when I actually see the finished product on the big screen, then I'll get all happy about it. I don't think it'll ever happen. <laughs> no, okay. they'll be talking about it for way too long. It'll take a super... Way too it'll, long. It'll need like a super heavyweight person to want to do it. It would need like, uh, like James Gunn to turn around and say, I want to do it. For it to happen, but you need a big name. No way, a small. They wouldn't let a small name do it. It's too big of a franchise. Maybe they can let Sam Raimi do it. That'd be kind of funky. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him produce it. It'd be interesting. Sam Raimi would be. Uh, I would love to see Dante return and direct. That'd be the shit. He directed the first two, and he should. He still can. Yeah. He directed a couple years ago, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, but you know, Dante has been so close with the franchise. You know, it's just as long as Chris Columbus and Mike Fennell. Yeah, you know who's his production partner. I mean, but you know, to me, Dante and Fennell have this amazing history. You know, with like, you know, The Howling and Pir- Piranha, and just you know, so many wonderful films working for Roger Corman. You know, when they came up and basically given the position, you know, to, to, to do Gremlins. You know, I love how they kept the same 
techniques they were using, even though they were using, you know, puppets. You know, these, some of the effects, you know, I mean, of course, they're going to have to have a stop-motion effect. That's going to be the most expensive thing in the film, which is what, you know, how Roger would make his movies. Like, oh, God, I don't want to do stop-motion. Most expensive thing. And if you can do everything practically and make it work, then more the power to you. I right. can't imagine how difficult the second unit direction must, must have been just directing those puppets. Oh, yeah. As he said... I heard the, they were divas on set, you know. Ah. They were such divas on set. There's actually a really funny little behind-the-scenes featurette where Gizmo is doing this total Dila thing, and it's actually really funny. But uh, that first film was such an experiment. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. By the time they finished the film, now they knew what they were doing. So by the time part two came around, all, all these puppeteers that were already on it, you know, some of them were going on to bigger and better things. Um, Chris Wayless, who designed the creatures brilliantly, you know, now this time around we have Rick Baker coming in doing the makeup effects. But he didn't want to do the creature design because he didn't want to work with someone else's designs. That's completely understandable from a makeup effects standpoint. That's why they created like that genetic, you know, laboratory and all these, you know, other creatures that they could build because that's how they got Rick Baker. And he became an important asset to the creation of that second film. I mean, the effects in that second film, the first third of the film plays like a natural film, but the second two thirds plays like a live action cartoon. It's mm-hmm. like a Warner Brothers cartoon comes to life. That's the brilliance of Gremlins too. And it's just so cartoony over the top. Yeah, we just, we, just, we just recently rewatched that. And that movie is just so much fun. It's so much fun. It's I mean, so, it, it, it's like definitely a standout movie from the first Gremlins, just because of the comedic value to it and the the way the, that the change in the types of the different Gremlins that are in it. You know, like you got, Mickey, you got, the, you got the little you got the little Nicki Minaj Gremlin. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> it could be done. I bet. I, I can see a really successful reboot being done right now. I'd love to see Joe Dante do it. You could bring pop stars into it. The way that Joe Dante's films were in the past is he usually would have bigger stars in it too. So I could even see a modern day one where some of our modern uh, comedy actors play it in. I could almost see like the what's Andrew the, dude, Dice the, Clay. the nerdy Andrew Dice Clay as a, as a girl. Oh, I'd love to see Dice and something like that. Oh but God, I could see like the nerdy man. dude from The Hangover playing like a big part in it. I forget yeah, like I, I, I could totally see, I could totally see like uh, Andrew Dice Clay play as the, the gremlin that you know with the flashing with the with the trench coat, yeah, and the cigar like that's got Andrew Dice Clay. And we'll give him a Zach Galifianakis. Beer. I can only imagine yeah. who's fucking who's that that Pete fucking who's that like comedian who was going out with a, a Grande. Pete something. Oh, the guy who's in um, uh, King, King of New York, King of Staten Island. Pete is that King of Staten Island movie? Oh, oh, yeah, I know who Pete, you're talking about. Not Pete Holmes. Yeah, he was on SNL. He was on SNL. I could see him voicing a fucking gremlin. I could see that. Nick Kroll is kind of funny. Shit like that. Yeah. Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll doing a doing a gremlin voice, you know what I mean? I can see that. There's a lot of funny. I want to hear Bill Burr do a gremlin Bill voice. Burr would Bill Burr complaining about everything. That would be that would be hysterical seeing Bill Burr as a gremlin. Bill Burr was in the. Man you know the worst thing about being a gremlin is. Or Anthony Jeselnik. Another one. He was no, hanging with people that were getting rough with rough uh, extreme comedy recently. 
Jezel, yeah, okay. even he's though got he, no, he's got no filter, even though he well, he was giving hard times. I think to people that know to have filter, and he don't have a filter. It was quite weird. But what he's a funny with? fuck. No matter, I mean, he's raw. No, funny. He's that drag humor. Joke That's about why he said he'd like, he'd be, like fit in perfectly with our crowd because we all he have should be on shock treatment. <laughs> Anthony, if you're out there, come on the shock treatment show with Mel and Maddie. I know we talked about the gate briefly before. Uh, I love the gremlin little ghouls in, 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 in the gate. The, the stop motion well, ghouls are the best. They refer to them. Actually, they do refer to them in the film as uh, the minions. The minions. And but minions has been used so many other places, as we yeah. know. Yeah, that's they, what they, they are. they walk around singing ball bananas. And the dead dude in the wall, is it his name Farmer Fred or something like that? The character? Well, I, I remember that being a Craig Reardon makeup, and that was now it's based off the bog people of Guanajuato, um, that particular makeup. Because that, I mean, it was like a bog person, but it was wearing like overalls. I mean, it was creepy. I mean, it was, it was terrifying. And when he falls, when he gets that thing to the face, the boombox, yeah, yeah. way back when in the 80s, and he falls, and all those little creatures just roll out all over the floor. Classic. That yeah, was classic. that was a brilliant, brilliant effect. I wonder how long and that took. That took a lot of precision because there was a lot of forced perspective in that because they had to like cut the hole out when, when he falls. Yeah. When they when the character in the behind the scenes is really cool. They take a frame where like when he's falling, the floor mat they had to outline and they had all the minions kind of like crouched in positions and they were all slightly painted, like say if like it was part of like the, his pants or something that were blue. Mm-hmm. But then one creature might be a little bluer. And then they all kind of just, you know, run around and but I mean that effect was so and that was Randy Cook, who yeah. was one of the great geniuses of visuals and did brilliant work on Fright the great, yeah, the, phenomenal the, artist. The, the game was a movie that was always on TV too. That's where I yeah. remember seeing it for the first time back in the day. Little yeah. Stephen Dorff. I mean Stephen Dorff always on. He, he Stephen Dorff's like it's like Stephen Dorff's like the, the kid that is like perfect Hollywood child actor looking and then there was the other dude, fucking Lewis Tripp, who's just like Ultimate nerd type fucking dude. I like yeah. Louis Tripp. I thought he was cool. They gave him the sequel, which was nice. I remember that. And he was like, the wasn't heavy metal kid. Huh? Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I wasn't that big of a fan of the sequel to that, though. I enjoyed the sequel because it had such dark undertones. I remember, I, I remember really being a fan of the fact that he was like a heavy metal kid and trying to like bring, uh, do like the, the, the fucking, re- bring the record backwards. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. That was I, only, I only really remember. Half the, of the film because I got that on disc and it, I don't know what it was, but it was he's, like he's like Horace. He's like Horace from, uh, from the Monster Squad. I, I couldn't even fin- I couldn't even finish the stupid film because I only saw half. The disc broke. And oh really? I just got it, so I only saw like half of it, and I was like, "This isn't as good as I thought it was going to be." What are we and, talking about? The gate. Uh, the gate two. Oh, I got the tape. Yeah. Yeah, but I got like, yes, like the way the way Horace was kind of like fat, like fat kids would look up to Horace. Uh, check, you know, Hawk, Hawk talks about the Monster Squad and cries because fucking good thing he's not here to hear this because <laughs> of how, how much he's touched by like that. I shouldn't even joke about the fact that there's like a, a chubby hero type deal. But in the same sense of that, I think that the, the, the trip character was like uh, he wasn't a chubby dude, but he was like hardcore fucking nerd. 
much love and respect to him, but he's like, he was screech, dude. He was a different realm of screech. Yeah. Um, and that's why, like, I think certain horror people really linked up and liked, like, I fucking love that character. I thought that character was really cool. And I like part two a lot. I think it's darker and weirder. Um, what's funny is I could actually, cause like you could imagine that trip character in real life, trying to summon demons to make his life better and get chicks and stuff. You know what I mean? So like when it's in the movie, you're like, Oh, well there's a documentary now. All right, cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, the gate, I enjoy both gate movies and I'm surprised there was never a reboot. And I, if, if anybody's listening, give me the, I'd love to reboot it. I don't know I, why. I, I think that would actually I, be kind of dope to see a reboot of it. It's now. a great story I, I think, and you can I do a lot with it. From what I have heard, Alex Winters, has some affiliation with the remake. Really? Um, they were trying to get something off the ground, or they filmed something, and it shut down. And, I mean, if you look up the Gate remake and Alex Winters, there's something there that there is some sort of cohesive story that they were trying to do something. But where it's at, I don't know. But this was years ago. and um, But, they, I mean, the Gate does deserve... Something. I mean, sure. Why not? Because they've, I mean, remade, they've remade worse movies than that. The Gate came the out the same weekend as Ishtar. Ishtar, as we know, is probably one of the worst received movies that ever came out. But that first week, it got great numbers. The Gate came in second highest in Canada. Yeah, and this was a Canadian production. By the next week, Ishtar was out of the first. And, and the gate was number one. And the gate was number one for the independent. And it has, or just it, by virtue, it just has an amazing reputation, not as a film, but a film that's very proudly made by Canadians. It is Canadian because that trip character, that trip dude was from Canada. I picked yeah. up on that. You know? I mean, the Canadians make some amazing horror movies. Would you guys play? Would you guys play the Gate video game? That'd be cool, right? I didn't even know there was a video game for it. No, there isn't. That'd oh, be a good no. game. Where oh. you're you're in the house and they come in the backyard and you gotta like squat, stomp them out and try and close the gate in the backyard before they overtake. Actually, it's almost yeah, kitty. Could be kinda, could it's be almost kinda like fun. kitty. It's you know what I mean? And it's just if one I of those could, things that they add up, they keep building and building to the too much. It's one of those things. If I could play it as the minions with the troop where I'm actually oh, running I'll where I'm actually running the around the neighborhood and killing people, then that would be fun. I'm going to put a bunch of LSD in your system. I just want to take one of the rockets and put it through the, put it, you know, you know how the kids have yeah, rockets. I want to just have a scene where you can take the rocket and launch it into that giant monster at the end. And that's how you beat the game. But, you yeah. know, make it a rocket launcher instead. No. Rocket launch. You have completed the gate. <laughs> just make sure it doesn't come back down in the Indian Ocean. You yeah. and your friends survived. Everyone is not dead. The end. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Friday the 13th game, which is great. You and your friends are dead. Yeah, you all died. What you guys think of the Hobgoblins movie? Are you familiar with it? Hobgoblins. Hobgoblins. I know Hobgoblins Hob all too well. Actually, one of the very, one of my very oh, first, Bob Goblins movies. Okay. One of my very first <laughs> I own one. smoking experiences back in high school 
I was by myself and I was in my place down the South Shore. I got baked and I watched Hobgoblins on video on VHS. And it was it was the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. And I have already seen the Mystery Science Theater version, but the fact that I felt like I'm, I got through this. Rick, Rick Sloan, who directed this, I have heard uses as a pickup line in bars. Oh, hey, no. I directed Hobgoblins. Hobgoblins is what you get if you have sex with them on your fucking <laughs> pelvic area. That's what happens when you mix ghoulies and trolls. You gotta, use, you gotta use boiling hot water to get the Hobgoblins off, I heard. Good old troll. Troll's another great. That's another problem. Yeah, yeah Troll's one, too. You aren't scared stupid. Troll, I mean, so, Troll's up there as well in that yeah. Empire Pantheon. It really is. Uh, That's not even on my list. Good call, Bill. Good fucking call. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Phil Fondacaro, once again, plays the title character and plays the troll. And you have John Beekler, classic effects. Rest in peace. You have Sonny Bono, one of the few films, horror films he ever st- you know, starred in. Um, and I'm trying to think, Michael Moriarty, mm-hmm. who I love, you know, the Larry Cohen productions and, um, you know, of course, uh, the original Law and Order. Um but, I mean, that first troll, I mean, and Beekler directed it as well. I mean, that was something that Beekler brought to Charlie because he had the concept for years. And, that, and I thought that was interesting because Charlie had so many proof of concepts already that he wanted to make into films. But Troll was actually brought to him by Beekler. And I love the effects. In fact, some of the uh, discarded ghoulies, uh, certain skins, you can see popping up. And that, you know, Noxetta, uh, that beautiful song that Richard Band, um, I mean, it's a brilliant score as well. I think it's one of Richard Band's best scores. And he's got some good ones under his belt. He really does. And when they're doing that reiteration of what Ed Naha wrote of like, I remember the piece, it's like the fairy tale princess queen. It's a famous poem. But Sir, uh, I was about to say Sir Nigel, that's Ghoulies too. But Professor uh, that um, Phil Fondacaro is reading and saying that piece of music with it when all the creatures are coming up, to me, I think that's like the definite. When I think of Troll, that's what I think of. I think of that piece of music and I think of the creatures popping up and it's just a wonderful little be piece of heaven that I think something that Charlie and all those guys should be happy with. I mean, it, it did, film did very well for itself. Yeah, one of the few, it's one of the few films I think they actually had in like a lot of theaters because some of these Empire films that would only be like maybe a hundred. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure Troll actually got up to into the thousands when it came to oh, the really? theatrical release. Yeah, it was one of the biggest theatrical releases. I can support that shit. Another full moon movie I know you love and I love me and you my maybe my favorite full moon film that isn't one of the big franchises, and that is Bill, you know what I'm gonna say. Everybody wants it. It's a wrestling term. Everybody needs it. Hey, no, you got man. it, dude. You got it. <laughs> I thought you didn't have it for a second. I didn't, I should have shut up. I went and round that what the public wants. It's what the public needs. <laughs> um, land. I'm sorry, good chop top my head now. It's okay. Head of the family, man. Head of the family. Clever. I mean, I think it's actually it's probably one of Charlie's best written scripts. Yeah. 
And it's really hard to say a full moon movie is actually written well. Yeah. <laughs> Zany. It's like a perfectly perfect It's, it's really hard to say that. But the writing is really, I mean, the colloquialisms that, you know, I mean, there's something regional about it. I mean, you know, it's very much this Skinamax sort of type of movie where there's these mutants and you have Jack and Lavelle basically getting naked in almost practically every other scene. But it's funny. And there's a campy and, and there's a campness to it. And it's played so straightforward. You can clearly see the wall shaking when the guy picks the guy up and throws him against. You can let, I mean, it's a total Ed Wood effect. You totally see certain sets shaking, but they played it so straight that you, it's, a, it's somehow a slightly redeeming. You, you can buy into it as ridiculous as it is. But in concept alone, it's actually just a, a really good film. And the fact that after all these years, they're actually doing the sequel, Bride to the Head of the Family. Is it really happening? It, it like sounds like... Gremlins 3. Well, no, no, this is not like Gremlins 3 because a lot of these top 10... People want to see Gremlins 3, unfortunately. A, but, no, but a lot, the of these top, a lot of these top 10 <laughs> films that I Charlie had basically right. announced about a year ago have all gone into production. Yeah. So... It looks like this is going to happen because this is part of the one of the 10 and we're at the halfway mark. So things are looking good. And well, if full moon keeps going the way they're going, it, and it seems like things are going incredibly well. I, I could, I would want to say feel comfortably probably within the next 12 to 16 months. I have a feeling we're probably going to see bits and pieces of some sort of a bride of the head of the family with the rate that they're going. Well, they have got a mission to release a movie a month. So we have uh, yeah. we have one of Charlie's executive producers with us here. We so do. We, gotta, we do. Is, has there been any word around the office about a uh, a bride of head of the family, Mel? I I wouldn't know. I would become. I would become an executive people, producer. I'm not, on people that like, show. I'm not people like that in there yet. Of course, of course, of course. We understand. I. I clapped so hard for you when I saw your credit for the first time on the Ginger Weed Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was Everybody just funny. check it out. Yeah, have you not checked it out, Matt? Me? Yeah. No. Well, you know. Oh, he hasn't had time to yet. I want to be with Mel when I watch it. I want it to be a special moment. <laughs> the thing is, but if the, if the way like how Charlie is, the thing where Charlie's smart is the whole branding thing. Because we have these characters, and I wouldn't oh, yeah. be surprised once this entire series is complete. I don't know if it's like a six-episode thing, but the fact what that... I think it's funny is that he actually made a, a replica of the, we- the Ginger Weed Man. There's a doll for it, and like yeah. I want to see who's really going to pay $250 for that thing. There's people. <laughs> Bill, 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 you're, you're probably, was, Bill, you're probably talking to somebody. Bill, you'll probably buy one up. Actually, I'm, I'm working on something for Maddie right now. Um, and when I finish that up, I would love to do another character piece. I would actually sculpt a gingerweed man for you. 
Melissa. Uh, nice I think you probably, you probably come up with a better one than the one that they have out right now. <laughs> That's well, the best promotion anybody's ever done for a movie right there. <laughs> and listen, I am not going to say speak ill or negative of Tom Devlin's effects. No, I, I, love you, his stuff. I could just, I could just, I, I don't know. I just see it going in a darker, like the ginger weed man doll. She, meant, no, she didn't mean harm by that. She was, yeah, no, but I mean, I, but I would love to do a rendition of the ginger weed man for you. You know, I would sculpt it. I would do like a, a a tall figure for you, you know. I don't get a little baby nugget. <laughs> little baby nuggies. Well, that's the funny. Actually, have you heard about the uh, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, not not trilogy of terror. Um, Trick or Treat Studios is doing uh, Ghoulies to um, replicas of the fish Ghoulie and the cat Ghoulie. Hmm. And these things are going to be going for 250 but these things are actually bigger big, than actual yeah. puppets themselves. Because the puppets in those films, I think, were only like, they weren't, I'll tell you one thing, they weren't close to two feet. These things are going to be a little less than two feet, where those creatures were only about, I think, only about a foot and a half tall, maybe, you know, at most. Trick or treat stepping up their game this Ghoulie, year. Yeah, ghoulies are arguably a bigger bigger fan base you know what i mean so yeah trick-or-treat will pop them out you know what i mean yeah well and they're coming we want to see we still want to see your gingerweed man well yeah i i love to see uh you know the, the but full moon yeah like you were saying about full moon being great with marketing you know they do they make they create all these fun characters that they can make puppets for you know action figures all these different types of toys we when we worked for full moon uh doing the the convention i remember fucking all that, sh- all the stuff they sent in, and they, you know, there was you know, all the model, like the glow in the dark. There was like a glow in the dark blade, like yeah. replica. Oh like it, I would have, no, like I would have wanted one of everything. Like one of everything would have come home with me. They called it the reanimator blade, and interestingly yeah. enough, because okay, it yeah, was yeah. actually like it was like the reanimator green, green color. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about it, that. It did glow in the dark, and then it was badass. I was actually gonna pick that up for myself, but. I didn't, <laughs> but that would have been a sweet. Piece. Yeah, that, see the stuff like that. I guess could sell if you're a fan of. of oh God, you can't like like when you go and like I hate I freaking hate when they have the sales. Yeah. Because yeah. by the time I actually log in, like everything's sold out. Yeah. Well, that's why they uh, the two big ones uh, for for people who might be listening to this for the first time, the full moon sales that you really should look out for are the Valentine's Day sale and the New Year's sale. Yep. Um, it's usually a Christmas sale, but it goes longer into New Year's. Are, Those, you saying, are you saying that they think their fan base has extra money to spend on Valentine's Day and they got extra gift cards to spend from Christmas morning? Well, no, I'm saying... What you're trying to tell us? What I'm trying to tell you is, like, in any business, they will have sales, but sometimes they're at the most inopportune times, as funny as it might good be. good business... Yeah. And they have, but either way, their Valentine's sale is one of the biggest liquidations that they do to basically kind of get as much product out so they can yeah. put bring new product in. Uh, big respect to Full Moon. They have some heavyweight classics under the. We like to poke fun, but we we've worked with oh, Full yeah, Moon. We and love good people. We 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 well, we poke fun at the people that we love just as much as the people we hate. You you gotta so, figure out where the line is, folks. Yeah, no, but and it's interesting with the line because you know me and my history with Full Moon goes. I mean, I'm gonna be 39 this year, 
and it almost goes 30 years now, which I can't believe. So, you know, the fact that I've kind of been in contact with following from such an early age, um, I don't know. It's kind of weird because when you grow with a company, you see the, the, the ups and downs that the company goes through. Right. And so you always want people that, you know, you're rooting for to go on the up and up. But, you know, it's just, you never know how life's going to lead. And, you know, it's just amazing that we're all still here and that we're all, you know, still, I mean, Charlie has the movies that he's made, you know, and some may be better than others, but it's just this amazing library that a full moon has. And yeah, which, really, which, was, which was what, like, the what made me want to be a part of it. You know, because he Full Moon's been around for so long, it's so well known. So, yeah. like, you know, when that day comes and, you know, somebody else gets to take over, I can say I was part of the Full Moon generation. Band was, you were part of that legacy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, do you think, realistically, Bill, when, when Charlie, when Charlie Band disbands from this earth, do you, who do you think will run Full Moon? What do you think will happen with Full Moon? Billy? I have, what? Billy's going to take over and run it. I'd probably run it into the ground, not even trying. Um, it's in good hands then. I, yeah, so I have a feeling, I have a feeling, um, possibly Bob Langer, yeah. um, who is really kind of Charlie's right hand man, um, who is a wonderful guy. Who, um, he's got a good team over there, right? That's been working with him for a and, while. And, um, I'm trying to remember if it's Bob Lund or not, but there are a wonderful troop backbone of folks that would love to continue these movies. I mean, inevitably we all die, but it's all up to what's in development, you know, and let's just finish it. Um, I think the most frustrating thing is right now, one thing Charlie's been trying to do for a few years is bring uh, the prime evils to completion, which is a film he's been working on for over 20 years. This was David Allen's last film. Yeah, I I even invested money in this production as well, where I'm going to be getting a stop one of the stop motion puppets from David Allen. I mean, it was a little little contribution I did, but it's really interesting because when this film comes out, it's going to have like a Harryhausen feel already because this thing is going to have stop motion and you know it's going to just really be have an older looking aesthetic. Sorry, on the pressure. Exactly. Yeah. So this, even though this is a, a lost film meeting completion, it's, you know, we'll have that lost look because of, you know, something that was made so long ago. Yeah. But, you know, to just, and even talk about David for a quick second, because he was doing all the stop motion creatures and monsters, you know, for all these Charlie's films between the puppets and between the ghoulies doing all the stop motion animation. I mean, that was some of the most grueling stuff for its time. I mean, you know, is tedious, you know, I mean, one, in one week, you know, you might be able to get a few seconds of work, but you know, David Allen did so much of these films just as a stop motion animator, bringing the small creatures to life. And I think when the nightmares come to life in a nightmare imagery, like stop motion, to me, that's where it's most effective. You think you can can marry in that stuff, you know, you can kind of create stuff when you have stop motion as puppets themselves, there's something inevitably nightmarish just by default of how it looks. Might not look perfect, but it doesn't have to. You think Charlie would sell off everything for one last payday 
uh, knowing that he, for his family, or you, or you think he would pass everything down to whoever's running the company with him? Oh, I don't man. Think, Fuck. I, 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 don't, I, I don't think he would pass everything off. I, I think. Yeah, I it think it's right. I, I think worse if he did have to sell it, it would have to be complete desperation. But let's hope and pray he never gets to that point. <laughs> well, you know, when you, when you if, uh, if you found out you, if you were retiring, if you were going to retire from film and just say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell it to whoever wants to kind of take the reins, take my money, and go retire with the family. Well, no, I mean I, I've even thought of just actually messaging Full Moon when I have, you know, if I have like a small little cushion, you know, saved up. You know, I would basically be like, yo, Charlie, here's a grand for your next production. You can find anything in your warehouse, you know, that's related to some of your stuff from the early 90s. That'd be wonderful. If you can't, that's cool, too. I laughed at, I laughed a little bit because I thought you were going to offer him $1,000 for Full Moon Pictures. Right, I thought for a second. Dad, I said, Bill, that was the greatest thing, and you don't even realize what you just did. That was a good gag. <laughs> you go, hey, Charlie. I know you're trying to retire. Sell me everything you got for a thousand bucks, dude. Oh, all those puppet master films. How many more puppets are you making, Charlie? How many more variations? How many more puppets you got left in you, Charlie? How many more it's, it's, almost, it's almost like the diehard Pup Master fans are like Tyrone Biggums. We're like, come on, man. We need a new rendition. We need new we need new blade. You think there's new age diehards? You think like, there's new age diehard Puppet Master fans, Phil? Question? I know there are. Good. I hope so. I, I know there's a younger generation. I have been a being of a generation. Facebook friends, social media friends. I'm seeing younger kids that love this stuff. And yeah. all it does is make me feel old. Okay, that's because we're old, Bill. We can't deny yeah, it. Yeah, unfortunately, that's just what it is. Yeah, I know. I mean, I it's just... When, when you're 25, you can say, it makes me feel old. Now we're old. We can't say that anymore. <laughs> I know, because we're in the backside of our 30s, and some of us in the early 40s, so... I know. Yeah. I'm pushing mid-40s. We've, we've oh, already, no. you know, want to be... You look get, gorgeous. You want to get sad. We've already lived Thank half God. of our lives. I know, right? You know what I, I mean? love it. I love how you're in all green. You got Pennywise behind you. You look, you look like a little, you look like a little just, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Real quick, what, what do you guys, what do you, what do you, what do you guys and girls over there think about um, the whole like the Grudge films, the Ring, those, you know, I, I was it uh, Lights Out? I think was Lights Out. Lights Out, I think was more. Lights Out as a short, but that was like uh, more Mexican folklore, I think. As the other ones were more like Japanese, what do you think of the whole? There's a lot of like international child, ghoul children stuff. You even have the Devil's Backbone. You know what yeah. I mean? What do you guys think of all these types of uh, films? There's so I mean, many I like, of them. I like I, I, mean, I like the Japan, like the the foreign versions of those films better. Yeah, they're because you know obviously the ratings are, the way they do their ratings are different so they can go a little crazier with what they're trying to present so usually like the foreign films are a lot more violent and bloody which i which is what i like about them yeah yeah so 
so like they can take those stories and make them scarier than the American versions because like the American versions of the ring and all that are kind of like dumbed down and like not yeah, watered scary. down definitely yeah. through, uh, the foreign films th- kind of started to throw that uh, artistic touch on horror early I think like where we have hereditary and stuff like that now American artistic horror films you kind of look at some of these these two the early 2000s Japanese horror films are very artistically done horror films you know what I mean yeah and then like Sam Raimi Sam Raimi brought him Sam Raimi reinvented horror yet again and brought that whole style to America (laughs) you know what I mean yeah and uh, here we are today um but uh, yeah, they're cool because the kid, the cre- the kid factor will always be creepy. You know, a dead kid is always a horrifying thing. It goes back to the thing with freaks, where it's what people don't want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like something in their head that they know they don't want to deal with is you're showing it to them. So I think it's offending people in that way. Yeah. Well, and we we live in cancel culture where you know everything offends everybody. So right. well, fucking ridiculous. I'm really sick and tired of this cancel culture bullshit. Hey. I have no sympathy anymore. I don't give a fuck. You got sympathy I'm racist. For the devil. I hate everybody equally. Me too. We're all scum. <laughs> <laughs> you got Night of the Living Dead too. Another classic. You got the, the the daughter who kills the mother after she turns into a zombie. You know, like that's kind yeah. of fun size horror. I'd say that kind of goes with almost like uh, you know ragging from The Exorcist and you know the bad seed a little bit. Magic. Yeah. I know Magic. Bill Coyne brought up. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Yeah. Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, Anthony Hopkins. It was a very young. I mean, it was before he even did. You know, well, creepy um, ass French Williams dummies. Yeah, I mean, mentioned, yeah. the the book by William Goldman is considered like one of the top pieces of rest in peace re- literature. Um, yeah, for what it's worth from what I OJ Simpson it's killed really one of the greats. Huh? <laughs> rest in peace. O.J. Simpson killed William Goldman. He cut him up. Cows him up like turkey. It was ugly. Yeah. Just joking. He had another open, Goldman. Open face sandwich. Goldman Sachs. He hit Goldman Sachs heavy. Got all their watches. Yeah, Magic's a classic. I actually own Magic, but I've never watched it. I'm very disappointed to say that with myself. I've actually, and I hear for something I've actually seen before you. Yeah. You, well, that's, I, that happened. I, I, I like it. I like it. I, I heard it was good. That's. I own it because I heard it was good. I just, I just got to find the time to watch it. It's very good. I mean, Burgess, sure. Mer- I mean Burgess Meredith, yeah, 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 yeah. Margaret. You know, I mean, it's a great fucking cast. It's creepy. It's atmospheric. You think you see this doll moving, and it's just like there's weird little psychological. I mean, it's yeah, playing it's with his mind. You know, it's a it's a mind fuck of a movie. Is what it is. It is. Yeah. That's, not, just, that's not a film you watch tripping on acid no. or rooms or anything like that. Nah, so you don't nah, have a bad nah, night. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. No sorry, Bob on that. But yeah, sorry, you know, yeah. Sir Anthony Hopkins usually always killing it. Uh, Academy Award winner again this couple weeks ago. He still he went. That's a magic for you. He's still he's still winning fucking Academy Awards, man. Right. Yeah, no, good for him. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I missed out on the Oscars, unfortunately. I, uh, I yeah, I didn't watch them either. I'm not proud that I've said that. I'm not proud in saying. I'm, that. I'm kind of proud because it, you know, for years I've been bashing them and saying it's garbage and trash, but still watch it. Now I'm, now it's garbage and trash, and I'm not watching it. So I, I, I've, I've slowly pulled myself away. 
uh, I was like truly upset last year because there was people I wanted to win. And, you know, I think, you know, I think we can all could agree that decisions are made more on politics, you know, reasons for sometimes what the better the film is. And um, not always, but sometimes. And I think that you can definitely see sometimes when that's being done and when, when things are blatantly being, I, you know, if it's 50, 50 and you're talking about a good movie or whatever, and like it, it wins. And yeah, you know, absolutely. But if there's a movie that's just not that good, that rolls through on a political thing or it's pushing. There was, agenda, there was like, one. It's there hot, was hot at the time, you know, huh? There was one that w- that was nominated. I wanted to see it because a friend actually was nominated for best makeup. I'm not 100% sure if she won or not, but I think she may have won. Um, that that metal. She's not going to be your friend anymore if she won. That that sound of metal film. Oh, the sound of metal, yeah. Uh, Melissa, friend then, Bill. Um, I'm not familiar with that one. No, but Sound of Metal. Uh, did, did that win Best Makeup, or could you look that up if you don't mind? I, I, yeah, I don't. Um, I don't know. Because that that Best or Sound of Metal film, Julie Lachane was nominated. Oh, really? She Julie was Lachane was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, yep, she was. Really? She. Uh, Wow, well, congrats, person, Julie. You know, I, I just find that mind-blowing that somebody we used to just walk, walk through the conventions with is nominated for an Academy Award. But yeah, big respect. Cool. Fuck yeah. Yeah. She she, won. Uh, That's the shit if she won. Yeah, That's cool that she was nominated. Yeah, she, was, yeah, she, she worked on that. Um, respect. That metal horror. Not, no, oh, the sound of metal. The sound of music. No, the sound of metal. The sound of metal. The sound of metal or something like that. Yeah. They shot it at, uh, they shot scenes in uh, the Middle East in Cambridge. I've seen. But it was locally shot, I think. Yeah, and it was nominated for a few awards, but I know Julie was on that crew. That's fucking... Was- Really happy. Uh, yeah, if you talk to her, tell her I said congrats. I didn't know that. That was good times. The um, yeah, I don't really, I don't think I'm gonna watch them anymore because it's like a weird. I don't know. It's weird. It's uh, I used to find like enjoyment in them because like you'd you'd watch the movies. A lot of the movies are just kind of really they're they're just pushing agendas and I'm not hating on them for doing that because at that big at the big table where they're that Hollywood is you're trying to you know make something for a gigantic audience and if those are what that's what you want to do you know every year the same thing because they pretty much do the same thing every year and, yeah. and they just go back and forth with whatever cause they want to throw the award at that year I don't even think it's respectful to the actual filmmakers you know they go out there and they try and make a movie and it's I think they're just kind of looking at it face value and just kind of, I don't even think they might can watch the movies. They just read the plot and be like, winner. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or they actually, they put all the, they put all the different nominees on a dart board and then they just play darts and then whatever one that the dart actually lands on wins. Well, speaking of throwing. Yeah. And one film we haven't touched base on yet. Oh. I think hysterical trilogy of terror. Right. This, yeah. The Zuni fetish doll. The Zuni fetish doll. That doll. Sorry, Alex left. Is he, oh, is he here? Dolls. No, he left a while ago. Oh, I thought you were saying Alex was coming back. Again. Something no, he, no he, he left because we were, he knew we were going to talk about the Zuni fetish doll, and he's scared of it. 
he doesn't want to. He doesn't want cancellation. I can't make fun of Hawk when he's not here. I take that back. He's a good man. No, well, I mean, <laughs> as you guys know from being downstairs in my place, I, I display my Zuni fetish doll. And, I was um, with you when you got the Zuni fetish doll. You so were? Yeah, you were. I got a deal on that thing because of you, actually, and I'm I'm still very happy about that so deal. Coin's got a Cthulhu sex, big fucking Cthulhu sex doll. It's like a big fucking octopus in his basement that he has sex with. Multiple holes. <laughs> I leave no RFS empty. <laughs> He's got a chain. A no comment. Back. All I have to say is, no, I'm going to have to get a cease and desist order from those cameras that apparently came in recently. It's like it's like Ed Wood with. I thought the big I thought I bought them. The big fake octopus in Ed Wood, Tim Burton's Ed Wood, with the you know. Yeah. Bill's got that big fake octopus in his fucking basement, and uh, I've seen I've seen gentlemen t- have drinks and run a train on the fucking thing. Very sad. <laughs> Very sad. It was like uh, the Jodie Foster movie, The Accused. It was horrifying. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Cthulhu. It's like if Cthulhu was in The Accused instead of Jodie Foster. That's it. On a fucking pinball machine, they took care of Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised the madness that goes on down to my negative uh, effect shot. And everybody wonders why it goes deep to the bottom of the ocean because fucking Bill Coyne traumatized it. Broke his heart. Well, Cthulhu. <laughs> Um, let's get back into reality, right? Let's try and yeah. pull it back a little bit. We're going to wrap it up in a few moments. Um, we I talked love this about- insightfulness that we're basically uh, diving into. Mad Mel, I, can, I can see like the tears in Mad Mel's eyes. From yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> Anybody out there, Mad Mel just put in hours for your entertainment with a broken leg. Her knee's fucking falling off and she's I'm like, going to need a drink after this. Dealing with it. My legs hurt just from being fucking sta- sitting here. I can only imagine. Um, the Uninvited. I had that on the list. I had it alphabetical. That's a good movie. It had the cat. I know the cat, the demon cat. I remember precisely from the VHS. Now, was the demon cat just one segment, or was that like it was the whole film? That was the, the whole thing. Right. They were on a boat. It was George Kennedy from Creepshow Two in the raft. Um, there's some other name actors, but they're on a boat. Yeah, it's like a cat within a cat monster. It's just yeah, <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. And it's directed by Graydon Clark, who directed... Uh, without Warning. Yeah, Without Warning, Satan's Cheerleaders, uh, you know, and, and some other fun exploitation Joystick. films. Joystick. Joystick. Yeah, Joystick. Uh, Graydon Clark's a cool filmmaker. He's a, like a little... Indie, oh, like an older indie filmmaker, made some cool films. Uh, you, uh, yeah, good guy. He's worked uh, with everyone, like Neville Brand, Jack Palance. I yep. mean... You know, Martin Landau, I mean, um, Joe Don Baker, you know, he's, he's, and he started, I believe, working on Al Adamson films. I dig it. Yeah. Big support. You know what I mean? Graydon Clark. Graydon Clark, though. I got, I got a without, it came without warning poster. Oh, the original, Uh, original one. But before they changed it to without warning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if anybody out there has never seen the film Without Warning, I believe you can still get it on Blu-ray. Um, David Caruso's first film. Yeah, you want it? I probably my favorite way aliens have ever looked at a movie. You want to see a scary alien, like the alien that you you think you would see a picture of peeking in a window, what you would think it would be. That that they that those are these aliens. There. That was a Rick Baker. Alien was it? That was great. I love yeah, that. I mean, that alien was gorgeous. I mean, that alien cost quite a bit, but the effects were actually dubbed by Greg Cannon, who did like the Lost Boys. 
but the right. alien, but the alien creature itself, that was a Rick Baker creation. I would love to own some of these. I know they deteriorate, but I mean, I'd love to own oh, some yeah. crazy props. I actually want to, I saw a I have bus. Bill coin props. I have Bill Coin props that I'll keep forever, so I'll have those props at least. You actually have Billy Coin sculpting something for you right now. That's right. Too. I got I got Bill Coin's DJ stand the man neck. I still have that. I have that over there. I got my plaster face from Bill Coin. I got I got a handful of things. There's I no forgot, way. I still got my prosthetics from the, the time Billy did my fake face as a Fourth of July like Memorial Day weekend zombie. You do? Yeah. Oh yeah, Bill. We got big respect. We got big respect and love for BC. That was the first well, time I mean, I've ever had makeup. That was the first time I've ever had make professional makeup done with prosthetics. So I yeah, yeah, no, because right now what's on my roster? That was fun driving home and praying to God I didn't get pulled <laughs> over. Which, all which, my which, face which, is all bloody and made up. Oh yeah. One thing, one makeup or one thing I'm working on that I can talk about because this is a, a personal project and this is something for Maddie. I'm actually taking uh, two pieces of an animal. Specific or three pieces. I'm actually taking an anglerfish. I'm taking um, a frog, and I'm taking a warthog, and I'm basically going to compile it into one smooth creature overall. And it's going to have an aesthetic very similar to what we did on Insomniac, but I'm making it my own. It's going to be much bigger. It's going to be more darker, more naturalistic, and one beautiful piece, and not just a hodgepodge of a monster. I know I'm deviating completely, but I'm making something, I'm making something right now that, um, and for you, I am going to make a 12 inch ginger weed man with the Billy coin twist on it. Mad Mel got excited yeah. for a second. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. What are we talking about? No, but no but it's just because I'm getting, I'm, 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 I'm getting busier again, not only just doing makeup, but I'm getting myself busier in fabrication stuff that I can do. Yeah. You, you two are people I want to make stuff for. So as far as I'm concerned, you're getting some cool stuff that's being fabricated as we speak. I know where <laughs> the time we're at and how editing is, but I just want to don't edit. Know. It all goes up, buddy. It all yeah, it all goes up. I mean, for better or worse. Yeah, <laughs> no, but this is great. Up. I mean, I, I miss you guys. I fucking miss I you know, guys. I'm we miss you too. Up. We're gonna gather soon. Uh, yeah. Mad Mel, real quick, because I know you want to get a, get out of here now. I know you're a big fan of Sam from Trick or Treat. You want to have a few words about him? I I just I just I love him like. I didn't think much of that movie going into it. And then, I don't know, just something about that character drew me in. And the more I watch that movie, the more that character draws me in. I don't know if it's because, like, he doesn't look like he's going to kill you. Like, it looks like a little kid in a little scare, you know, scarecrow costume. And then, like, the warpath he goes on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie. Revenge. Like the, kill, like the kill when he kill, you know, shoves the the lollipop down her throat, and then he's a revenge head. killer. Yeah, yeah it was a great time. scene. They're revenge, right? They're ghosts that come back for revenge, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah, the the kids, yeah, because the kids were the like school special bus. Needs. Yeah, the kids were special needs, and yeah. the parents didn't want to take care of the kids anymore because it was too hard or whatever. So they paid the bus driver. To take them anywhere but home. That's that 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 was they could have 
That's a weird element. They should have just had the bus driver be like a drunk or something. A crazy well, I think drunk. That, I, like think, I think he was a crazy he was crazy and drunk too though. Yeah, you would have to be. You you're not gonna be a guy. The parents would be like, Hey, you wanna kill our kids? Fifty bucks, motherfucker. Ah, right, here's fifty bucks. No, <laughs> no, no, no regular person like, does that. He, he didn't do it for free, he did it for something and then like you know when, He was wearing that twenty dollars t shirt. But I like when he's like, like when he gives him like the chocolate bar at the end, like that's gonna like make it all better. <laughs> yeah, he was trying, to get, into he was trying yeah. to get into heaven with that. Yeah. I didn't see that movie. I saw Trick or Treat. No, I don't, what was it? I saw Tales from Halloween first. Okay. Then I saw Trick or Treat. Tales from Halloween. That that last story with the claymation alien. That little alien is like the cutest little monster ever. Yes. <laughs> I remember Tales and, from And that little alien was directly, ins- that segment was directed by Mike Mendez. Yeah. Now, Mike Mendez worked for Full Moon back in the 90s at one point. That little alien is based off of from when the daytime ended. There was this little stop motion creature that David Allen made. And that creature was so freaking cute, you know, saying trick or treat. When I learned in the commentary, I'm like, I, I didn't realize there was a connection there. So I thought that was really Yeah, funny. that little but, monster is just absolutely adorable. But I think, I think, uh, Friday the 31st, the, 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 the backwoods slasher when, when she gets possessed and, uh, she comes back and, oh my God, I mean, I'm trying God, that, that was that segment. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. When the girl, when there's the backwoods like Jason character and he kills the girl, then the alien basically possesses the girl. Yeah, that's the last, that's the last segment. Um, that one ha- always cracks me up. I fucking love that. This, I think that was a really funny film. And Trick or Treat, I love uh, as well how they kind of interwove this, all these characters together, you know, kind of throughout, you know, the film. Yeah, I like, I like when, I like when, yeah, I like when the anthologies actually, like, it's not like intertwined with the stories. Intertwined, yeah. That was when they were pumping yeah. a lot of shit. Yeah, there was that trick. I think Trick or Treat slightly a better film. Um, I, I really honestly can't remember. I mean, I remember Tales of Halloween, but I'm tr- in, there was good ones in there, I'm sure, but I can't remember even the segments for it. And I did watch it. No, the only the only one from Tales from Halloween, um, there's there's that one I was just talking about with the little alien, and then yeah. there's another one. The one with yeah. Caroline Williams and Robert Rustler. Yeah. Was in the beginning. And th- there was that like uh, sweet fairy tooth character yeah. and the kid actually like rips uh, Caroline Williams and Russell the, their stomachs apart, and he's eating all the candy. Eating all the candy um, out of them, sweet tooth. Or uh, something. It's yeah, called. and oh, yeah, like, yeah, uh, that one does sound familiar. Yeah, yeah and, that was- but you had um, oh my god, even Neil with it was Neil Jordan, I think, who actually directed a segment. And the pumpkin, he, the pumpkin, the pumpkin one, yeah, the, the pumpkin Cleave. with the cop. That was that yeah, was incredible. Christina, Christina Cleve was the cop in that one. Yeah, and, and uh, Joe Cami and Joe Dante as a cameo yep. in, in that one as well. Yeah, I remember them, just not the order that they're in. Yeah, she's a yeah. beautiful woman. I, I mean, I, I didn't know who she was. I, I, mean, I know she'd been around. Um, Christina Cleve, or however yeah. you say yeah, her yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christina but she, she's had a hell of a career, not just in the horror genre, but she does so much amazing cop work as well. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's very, very well educated as well. Like, 
her her schooling is amazing. She speaks like ten thousand different languages and like Did you meet her, Melissa, at one of the cons? Yeah, I met her at Rock and Shop. Oh what year was she there? She was there two thousand seventeen. Yeah, oh. two thousand seventeen when I was when I was your manager. Oh you're right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> we spent most of the weekend right. trying to find you. <laughs> yeah. Where the hell is Billy? Dave Zorsky also. Where is know. Billy? I don't know. I don't know. It was Alex Vincent again in the bathroom. No, we weren't in the bathroom. We were out back. We were actually smoking out in front of people who were welcome by us. Actually, we're trying to find Jason Lively. It's Bill was out time. back. Yeah. <laughs> I heard they were, they were in the bathroom out back. Bill was out back in the bathroom. Smoking a blunt. Smoking a yeah, blunt, blunt in the bowl, getting thrown out of there, getting thrown the fuck out of there for smoking in the smoking, smoking in the boys' bathroom. Uh, Bill Coin get fuck. I seen Bill Coin get thrown through the glass. I think that's when you say no. I think that's when you say Coin throw yourself through the glass. Why? Just do it. No, we just throw you into pools and so you can dislocate your shoulder that way. Did you get thrown oh, into that pool? Or did you jump in? No. He jumped no. in. I thought so. I, ju- I jumped in. I didn't dislocate my arm when I jumped. Yeah. It was when I swam underwater because I was an award-winning swimmer growing up. I have won awards in high school. My arm had dislocated once before, not even thinking about it. So when I reached, I overreached, and then just completely just came out of the socket. And then, when I, then I come up. George, I, 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 I don't even know who I'm seeing. I think I see George James Frazier over hey, here. Stars is what you're seeing. <laughs> Next to me is Holly, who's looking at me in horror. Like, and, yeah. <laughs> and then I basically go back to the, the room with my arm out of its socket, get dressed. And go to the emergency room. Call Bree. And she basically comes and picks me up, brings me there. I come back. Everyone's faced. Everyone's drunk. I can even do it. At a heart convention? At a heart convention? At a heart convention? What are you talking about? Jesus. What kind of standards do people have at these shows? We have. You got back from the hospital at 1 o'clock in the morning. What did you think was going to happen? Oh, I know. I mean, everyone was. It was so much fun because I was I was one of the more sober ones. More sober. Yeah, you weren't there. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been. <laughs> That's what they say. Shit. Yeah. But it was so fun. I mean, everyone was fucking dropping all over themselves. Faced. Faced. We could have talked about the entire catalog of Frank Henenlotter films, which, we, you know, the Basket Basket Case Case. films. You know what I mean? Lyle Small. Brain Damage, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've got plenty of that. Hey! Hey Yo! You know what I mean? Uh, Classic, you know, creature that I I consider, you know, Henenlotter is one of those... Body, he's kind of body horror. I consider him body horror like Cronenberg a little bit. So, would you say like Cronenberg w- would be like here, and Henenlotter is like here when it comes to like body horror, or like in what? I put them I mean, pretty. I put, the it, I, I put them pretty close, but I'd say that you know, you know, Henenlotter is a little more goofier. You know what I mean? Of course, he's, yeah. he's more camp where. 
Cronenberg's yeah. always taken him. So always take his way more serious. Not him personally, but the way his film, the tones of his films are always super serious. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the brood is another one. Even for film, even for horror movies, they're too. They're almost like too serious for horror movies. They're weird. They're, they're good. I like them, but they have there's and you know you're watching a Cronenberg movie when you watch it. And it has like a there's a complete vibe to it. You know. Yeah, there's like an extra film on the film yeah. that you feel because it's so beneath the surface. I mean, that body horror really does can feel. It's almost like altered states. You know, can have a feel. Cronenberg, yeah, his he makes it the tone so serious that when you're watching these body horror things, they almost come off almost documentary style, for lack of a better word, lack of a better description, I guess, of it, where it's very real, almost like it's run and gun, like oh, like we're capturing something. This isn't a take; we're not doing multiple takes. We're capturing something live, almost. You know what I mean? That's the kind of vibe they have. I feel with because you have the body, the, the 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 gooey body horror, slimy, you know, shit like that. But then you have the the, the vibe, the element that it's in. The world's really real, really real. So I enjoy that. The well, deadly slime. Yeah, there's something about slimy horror. Yeah, especially when it comes to the body, mm. that is just unsettling. Especially if you see something from within that's not supposed to be coming out. And there's something about that that I'm actually working on on a production where I really have been channeling my inner Cronenberg storyboarding these sequences. Yeah. So it should be really interesting. It's, uh, I always get down with it. Yeah, the body horror is scary because it is. Like you said, it's from within. You know, so you think of body horror, you almost think of things like cancer and disease and sickness and stuff like that. They start that way. Because that's what it is, you know, these are all, they're all like bad, you know, cells or little growths within us that, you know, s- slowly grow until they become out of control. And that's pretty much body horror is like a, a little, a small little thing that eventually grows and over time it develops. And now you have like a face, now you have something living inside your body. And what's creepier than well, that? It's, it's like an insect, you know, you go through exactly. the larva stage, you go through the pupa stage, but when it's from within... It's even creepier. It's like thinking of like the fear of like insects coming out of you. I mean, you know, there's just so many weird, horrible things that can just, it's like horror itself. There's, there's horror from the external and there's horror it's from the death internal. Too. I think death, people knowing what happens to their body when they die with bugs and with the sliminess. I think when they see a slimy body, it reminds them of death. They're, they're yeah. death. You know, a lot of, you know, all the horror filmmakers, they always say why people like horror movies because it's them facing their own death before they die in a way. It's them, you know what I mean? So, Thank like, it's that heard. that death element's really big for the audience, you know, as far back as horror directors have been, you know, trying to explain their, their work. They, they It's always falls on, oh, they, you know, they want to see this. Stock. Yeah. It's political. They have something to say. And whatever their motives are, no matter what they're pure, whether if it's internal or external, if you do it right, then usually it's a surefire win. Did we bring up Phantasm at all? 
Well, the minions and Phantasm. I love Phantasm. I love That's those. Why, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're almost like similar to the Jawas in Star Wars. But I mean, exactly. I think that. But I think that the minions are cooler. If you look at the second one, you actually see them. And but Mark Showstrom did those makeups and K and B, even like in Part Three, just creepy, creepy creatures. Especially when they take the masks off and you see yeah. these. You know, I mean, you, you see the likeness of the person, but you also see this this weird, small, dwarf-like creature that... The first one, that first Phantasm, is an amazing film. And the sequels for the effects really showcase what the minions sure. you know, looked like. And they were creepy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. I love Phantasm. You know, the ghouls are great. Um, another thing where I think it's just like what you become. That's the creepiness of it, what you, what you become type deal. Deadly Spawn is kind of along that. They're kind, of, but I remember that Deadly Spawn was kind of big, wasn't it? Like it was bigger what than a human. It wasn't gigantic, but bigger than a human. Yeah, no, I mean it was bigger than a human, but it was very insectoid. I mean that was like, oh, Melissa, I, I I feel I'm you, sweetie. So uncomfortable. <laughs> I know. I got. We got one more. I got extra. No, we'll be quick. I just watched Extra for the first time. Like, uh, what did you ago. think? I loved it. I thought what it was really good. Yeah, so I wanted you, to talk about that. Have you seen that show, Melissa? I haven't seen it yet. Sci-Fi Horror. Check it out. Uh, it's a streaming. It was streaming on one of the free sites. Extro, find it. Extro is probably one of the weirdest films I've ever seen that almost tries to be a horror movie, but it was this weird art house aesthetic. But there's an extraterrestrial father yeah, science, weird like science fiction horror. It's, but it's, like it scary. is science fiction and horror, but it's so fucking weird. It's in your that face. Is, weird, yeah. It's it's uh, good. Uh, Anybody, good. That's like, good. I've been, just, to, I've been trying to find something else that's different to watch just because I'm getting tired of rewatching the same fucking fifty movies over. <laughs> what have you been rewatching? I I I re what the, what the hell? I watched Avatar last night for the first time. I, I, um, I just been going through like old full moon movies and I was like Jurassic Park and 31 House of a Thousand Corpses. You know, my go-tos. <laughs> Why don't you crack into the, um, uh, Newcomb box set? Yeah, you know, it's been a while since I watched that. That might be a, it's been like a, I, I haven't, yeah, I haven't touched it in over a year, so. That's another one that's a good idea. Yeah, extra, that one's fun. Yeah, the extra footage. Yeah, extra is like a science fiction basket case kind of. Oh, that's kind of cool yeah. then. Which is, I cool. love the third one. Extra three is actually not that. That's bad. streaming too. Yeah, that's streaming too. But on Tubi. I think so. Tom Hanks's brother is in it. <laughs> Tom Hanks's brother. Oh my god, dude! And he's actually a good actor. He he kind of he never got out of the shadow of Tom Hanks. Right. No. Poor bastard. But no, but he did actually do the voice for the dolls of Woody. He was he was that nice of a brother. He actually gave all the voice work to his uh oh, brother really? to record all the Woody stuff for Disney. And then he took the paycheck? Yeah. He goes, Brother, you change, you you become Tom Hanks and we talk about the money. And then he puts the brother in the dog cage. Poison the water hole. <laughs> Tom Hanks' son, Chet, the one that raps, is fucking makes me not even want to be alive. Makes me dis- like d- a disgrace to be a fucking human. I like his son. Was it Colin? 
Colin's cool, Colin, but yeah. he's got one of them that's, a, that's a, attempting to be like a fucking rapper that's like a horrifying. That, yeah, that's hard. That's a whole other show right there. I think his girlfriend <laughs> has beat him up recently, which is funny. That's even funnier. And you know what? We'll catch all y'all motherfuckers on the next episode. So <laughs> with that being said, um, you know, we ragged on Tom Hanks' kid for a little bit. So now we can officially wrap it up. Speaking of, you know, <laughs> ho- horrific young little people. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'll see where this pans out. This very well could be a two-parter. Um, or maybe it'll be a one-parter long, you know, pinochle style. So we'll see how it goes, and uh, we'll flip it. So we'll catch all you guys out there and girls out there. You know, if you're interested in any of these movies, go check them out. Get yourself some fun-size horror in. And we'll give you a you lot of good titles. So you folks titles. should actually have listened. Yeah, you got plenty of watch for a while. Yeah, go check out the Bill, of- Coin, the, the Bill Coin on the Facebook. And yeah, you can check me out on Facebook. You can check me out on Instagram at Billy yeah. underscore Coin. Yeah, we got to check out Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie on Facebook. Um, check out uh, Shock Treatment TV episodes on our Boombastic Media YouTube page. Um, we got Boombastic Media Facebook page. You know, we got a bunch of different shows. If you like this one, you'll probably like the other shows. And we have a Boombastic Streaming Patreon page. For anybody out there that want to get involved, and we get a bunch of cool perks and such. Uh, not the perks that Mad Mel's on right now for a knee. Yeah, I wish. But we could work something out for you if, you, if you're favorable. <laughs> but uh, with that being said, we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Matty. Mm-hmm.